0: I normally play the audio clip of uh, Dave Brubeck's take five, but I don't want to get taken down. So we're not going to do that because uh, the Twitch is DRM. We, everyone saw the Metallica show at TwitchCon recently. Uh, we'll add it in the edited version that goes up on soundcloud i see by the chat that we're live here um i've already broken our template for the intro here didn't i james
1: oh well <laughs> we're gonna wing it after five years we can do as we please i suppose
0: yeah Would you want to do you want to re- formally read us in now that we know we're working <laughs> sure Hello, everybody,
1: and welcome to the 260th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's just as surprised as you are, honestly. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Credit on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
0: Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to our fifth year anniversary stream. The first time we've done video together, I think, it's true. right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, glad to be here. Looking forward to a fun show. Um, our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby and watch us on twitch talk about magic cards and james one thing we did not consider uh is the breaks that we tend to take middle of recording for water and what have you is going to (laughs) be we're more restrained in that nature this time through here
1: my coconut water has a little vodka so it'll see me through
0: okay well that that was less what i was concerned about
1: (laughs) well i was i I was plenty concerned to make sure the vodka was in there so uh (laughs) MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number five, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast.
0: Um, I just realized I have no idea what Twitch header this is under. Are, are we under I would assume we're under Magic the Gathering, but we, we might be under Just Chatting.
1: Pretty, pretty sure Wonder Magic the Gathering.
0: One of the two. <laughs> so her voices need to be faces and voices need to be switched. That's we, a shame. We, it,
1: people have said that before.
0: There's no Twitch plugin for that, unfortunately. Uh let's see. Our show this week is surprisingly still basically the same thing uh we, which I was genuinely wasn't sure what we, we, we we're gonna do but uh, we'll start with our metagame weekend review for segment one segment two we'll walk through the top paper movers uh segment three we'll talk about some cards we like for the future you guys are well versed with that and segment four that's gonna be kind of our uh, our celebration stream here. We're going to grab probably one or two people from the Discord to come join us on stream. Hopefully, um, we're going to make more. We're going to make a point to answer some of the viewer questions here from Twitch chat. So uh, maybe an hour-ish for us to get there. You guys know how long the cast usually takes. <clears throat> uh, maybe four hours because you guys know how long the cast usually takes. But let's jump in here at the top. Uh, the Pioneer Challenge. And these are our first results, right, with all the new ban changes.
1: Post bannings, yeah. This is the uh, first MTGO week metagame week in review since the huge swath of bannings. And uh, on the whole, we're we're looking at a couple of formats that are looking totally reasonable. Pretty much all the usual suspects that were not affected by the bannings, and a couple of cool surprises. The uh, winner of the Pioneer Challenge was a, something I'm calling five color Niv Urian BTL 80. If you were looking for, you know, arcane deck names, if you're a fan of those, uh, I think I've got your your number.
0: That's, uh, that's a lot of words when I read a deck name like that, which is uh, fairly descriptive, I think it leads me to believe that this guy was like, I want to play a lot of cool cards in Pioneer, and I don't like being restrained by 60 cards. So I'm going to play Yorion so that I have an excuse to play 80 cool cards.
1: Yeah, and they don't have access to Euro, Euro anymore, but they still have Bring Delight into Valky God of Lies. Um, that's one of the few interactions with Valky that still works um, after the rules change that came along with the Bannings. And they figured, you know, may as well go to 80 cards, leverage Yorion in both the main and sideboard. They've also got copies of uh Sarulf, uh Realm Eater out of Kaldheim. They got three binding of the old gods. Uh it's a pretty sweet card that kills something, then it gives you a land, and then gives all your creatures death touch. Um played against that a few times in draft this week. It's never been pleasant. And for Bring to Light to tie the whole five
0: color package together. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, if you're going to play, you, you know, bring, if you're playing like a Bring to Light package and it, they're sort of already pushing you in the direction of having all that sort of nonsense at your disposal. And Yorion makes that better, gives you sure. more tools to work with, at least.
1: Yep, second place in this tournament was Black Red Pyromancer featuring four Dreadhorde Arcanist, a card that was just banned out of Legacy, but apparently is still good enough, therefore, for Pioneer. Four Croxa in there, and notably, they're using four of the Black Red Pathway. Um, So Pathways don't seem to be making much of a splash as far back as Modern, but they do seem to be setting up shop to a greater degree now that we've got them in all the available colors.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing them in Pioneer, We've been seeing we've seen them a good bit so far. I was surprised at their results in EDA track. Um, they're they're the highest from Kaldheim, which isn't. I mean, I guess it's not terribly surprising because they're lands, but they are two color lands. Uh, I I I will tell you that I don't love. Well, I really like the way these look. I don't love them long term, um, simply because I feel like they are severely outclassed in EDH, which of course is where we're trying to put our fun bucks these days. Sure.
1: Mono Black Aggro in third. This is a deck that has remained largely unchanged the entire time, no matter what brokenness Pioneer has thrown at it. Still running four Rankle, four Lock Queen, and the the rest of the usual Suspects. In fourth place, we've got uh, a more interesting list. Blue Black Control. Uh, Just a pile of Blue Black Control cards. Uh, Four Jace Finn's Prodigy in there. And then probably the most interesting little combo is a card I didn't even know existed till I saw it in this list for release to the wind. This is a
0: blue and two. Oh, you, you, you actually don't need to read this because it is now on the screen. Oh, sweet. Look at, look at that. So that's what that does. <laughs> and and
1: the, the shenanigans here involve yet another way to get the busted side of Valky onto the board. Um, you exile and then cast it and presumably get to cast
0: either side. As, as soon as we started talking about the blue blacklists, I'm like, okay, which card is the one that lets you cheat in? Cheat Valky. And uh, there it is. There it and then is. There's, but, I mean, that's not even... That's interesting, too, because not only do you get to cheat... You can like turn two Valky, turn three, release to the wind. And then, I guess, turn four, cast Valky. Uh, Well yeah actually, that's not that's not that much of a trick, right? Like you cast Valky, then you release to the wind it, and then you have to wait until you can pay the seven to cast the flip side. So like it does let you upgrade your Valky, but it's not like that much of a trick. Uh, it's unclear
1: to me whether you have whether you have to pay for the seven side. It says it,
0: once it's exiled. Oh, cast without pain Monocost. I yeah. Yeah. If I wasn't looking at everything else on the screen and I read the words on the card, then I, I would have noticed.
1: I, it. I'm assuming you get the busted side because otherwise they would not be running release to the wind.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's a that's a fine amusing card to t- cast on your opponent's stuff, because then oh no, because it's still without pain Monocost. cost. Never mind. All right. I, I'm I'm bank I'm going with the fact that I don't remember reading this card prior to this instant, is why I haven't been able to get this card right once yet so far. Don't worry
1: about it. I had to ask uh, the Discord whether you could do the same nonsense with Jace Friend's Prodigy, but nobody seemed to think you could, so.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you can't cast the other side.
1: Uh, also worth noting, they have a Lurus of the Dream Den. So lurus is is lurking in the sideboard and allows them, once put into play, to bring back Jace, JVP and Velky, and then continue the shenanigans.
0: Sure, again, Companions, why not, if you've got them.
1: Moving right along, we've got Jun Coco Citadel in 5th. This is one of the other pretty spicy ones. This looks a lot like the early, um, what was the name of the format before Pioneer? Uh... <laughs> Whatever okay. Pioneer was called before Pioneer, when Harry oh. was trying to get it off the ground. Frontier. Right, and then Historic is the one on Arena. Got it. Yeah. So Frontier, there was a deck like this that, w- that was played fairly often with a Catacomb, Sifter, Zulaport, Cutthroat thing, Collected Companies. And then there was uh, a standard deck that used Return to the Ranks or something. Whatever the White spell is that lets you bring them all back in the same turn and go ape shit sacking them and killing your opponent. But the tricky part here is they run four boluses Citadel. So they can set up an early go wide aggro game, leveraging sacrifice synergies through mayhem devil to get damage in on the opponent. And then if you have 10 non land permanents, you can sack them and each opponent loses 10 life. So Citadel becomes a one shot kill presuming that you've, you've been the beat down for the early
0: part of the game. Yeah. And I mean, when you've got stuff like catacomb sifter going, that's going to get you there pretty easily. Like that's definitely going to generate some bodies for you. Although, interestingly enough, as I'm looking through this, none of these—I mean, I guess Woe Strider creates a token. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a little less token generation here than I would have guessed. I I guess they so just try and play more of a a massive strategy and then eventually wrap up with Boltsus. So that still works though. Very handy. I, to have,
1: very handy to have chat here to help us. It's Rally the Ancestors. I'm thinking yeah, of. It was yeah, it there. was old that.
0: There was Rally the Ancestors, and then there's also that other one that's, like, another white, white X spell that returned creatures from your graveyard, and they were, like, one set or, like, two, one block apart or something. Yeah, Return to the Ranks is the one I I referenced. Return to the yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I'm scrolling through this list, and you have, like, all this, you know, magic art, and then you put your mouse over Gilded Goose, and it's that, like school textbook drawing like cover of a hunting manual gilded goose artwork yeah. it's like does so not quite fit it it stands out but it doesn't stand out like the showcase cards does it stands out in a very different way it's like it your grandfather's magic card mm-hmm. it certainly looks like the kind of goose
1: you would sacrifice though i'm sure the mayhem devil very much enjoys watching it be sacrificed
0: that's the type of goose you eat for dinner yeah for thanksgiving
1: so we had another black-red Pyromancer deck in sixth, and then the seventh place list was five-color Niv-Mizzet without the Yorion 80-card Madness. And then eighth place was another more straightforward blue-black control list that wasn't trying to do the Valkyrie shenanigans, but they did have a, a two Torrential Gear hulk package um, with their 26 instance. I haven't seen uh, Torrential Gear hulk in a while. Yep. And you know, shark Shark Typhoon will tend to make almost any control deck good. So, extinction event.
0: Really, extinction. Of, yeah, let me throw this up on the screen. But that is uh, that is an amusing card to see.
1: I mean, they must know the meta better than we do to know that that is typically going to hit better than some of the other bad damnations they've given us recently. I,
0: I guess if you're if you're on the play. You cast that on turn four, naming odd to hit the one and three drops. And if you're on the draw, or if you're on the if you're on the pl- yeah, if you're on the play, you hit one and three. And if you're on the draw, you call two and four. But it depends on
1: the decks you're facing, right? Because some of the decks just don't have one or the other of those. Yeah, assuming they curve out basically. And they yeah. make and they make it well, I mean lots of these decks don't. Like for instance, the other blue black deck and fourth only has two drops. So it would be a clean wrath against them. Um, yeah. But- but there was also usage of. Uh, tch, tch,
0: tch. I mean, yeah, so
1: there at least two or three other options. So I, I'm sure that that is a flex slot, depending on what the meta looks like.
0: Twitch chat is saying that the exile matters, which makes sense to me, right? Like, that's what I would sure. expect. Um, I'm surprised that you're that hard up for exile effects. But I suppose in Pioneer, I, I mean, I have not done a wide search for Black Exile effects in Pioneer at 4 mana, so maybe this is really the best that you're getting. Fair enough. All right, so moving on along to the modern challenge from this weekend,
1: we had two green-white creature combo Cocoa decks in first and second. Both look pretty much the same. Uh, Archangels of Thune, Oriok Champion, Bird of Paradise, Conclave, Mentor, Heliod, Suncrowned, Noble Hierarch, Ranger Captain of Eos as a 4 of, 3 Skyclave Apparition, popular specs, both from their respective sets, for Spike Feeder, two Walking Ballista, and four Cocoa. Uh, they didn't catch any heat from the bands, and so they're just better positioned, I suppose.
0: I haven't seen the Spike Feeder Archangel package in a little while, right? Like, that was definitely a thing for a bit, but I feel like we haven't talked about that as much here in Modern.
1: Well, the nice thing about the Spike Feeder in that, in that uh, grouping of cards is that it also equals an infinite life with Heliod, right? Because Heliod puts a counter on something when you gain life, and when you take a counter off
0: that, you gain life? Uh, Whenever you gain life, put a on one on counter. Yeah, there's definitely a combo there. So you, have, so you have basically two
1: ways to go infinite life. Walking Ballista is infinite damage, and Ranger Captain of Eos can search up the Walking Ballista, and then they've got just counter stuff going on with Conclave Mentor.
0: It's a pretty tight, tight package. There's a lot of interactions there. Mm-hmm. A lot of ones and twosies. Yep. Onesie twosies.
1: And then third place is Junge Shadow. So the skirt, four scores of the skyclaves for death shadow build that we suggested is was probably going to be posting up regular, even more regularly in top eights uh, post the banning since this was also a deck that wasn't uh, impacted. Four Tarmogoyf is the main reason to, for them to be in green at all. And yeah, everything else looks pretty much as expected.
0: This deck is probably pretty potent at the moment because they lost, I think, nothing. And it was already just hyper-efficient threats, hand hand disruption and removal. Like That's a pretty tight package for playing against a room that just had a lot of the wind taken out of its sails uh, and is now gonna be facing a bunch of question marks. You just get to beat up on anyone who shows up with magic cards, basically.
1: And if your Death Shadows or Scourge of the Skyclaves start out smaller than Uro's, that might have been a problem, but with Uro gone, and none of the other decks in the top eight having anything that can really block those two creatures effectively in the mid to late game. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, Blue-Red uh, Prowess has showed up here and there throughout the year, and also didn't lose anything here. So four Monastery Swift Spear, four Soul Scar Mage, four Sprite Dragon with the Terrible Art from Ikoria, if you believe Wizards, That's four Stormwing... So Entity, which is a foil extended art that I flagged, I think last summer is possibly getting there, given enough time. Three light at the stage, four serum visions, gut shots, lava darts, lightning bolts, metamorphose, mutagenic growths, and wild slash. Pretty straightforward.
0: Yeah, just a blue-red pile of magic cards. I don't know if I like the artwork on that Monastery Swift spear, which is part of that real new secret layer that has all sort of the ethereal-ish, like almost chalk, I don't know what art style that is. I do like the text centered like that, the haste prowess. Wait, wait, I can do this so you guys can see. I keep forgetting uh, this one. I don't know how much, I like that this text is centered like that, but the artwork in general, I don't know. Yeah, it
1: has a very dreamy watercolor vibe going on. Uh, It's not, this is not a card I would choose to play, but I think it's nice that people have the option.
0: Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's not for me, but that's fine it's a lesson well learned by that should be well learned by magic players indeed all right so titan shift skate
1: for Shift, for prime time pretty classic looking build there in fifth pretty classic looking dredge build in sixth hammer time we also mentioned last week was probably going to be in good position and indeed here we have a copy in the top eight and then blue white spirits also unaffected also showing up in the top eight
0: boy these are some uh, blue-white spirits. I feel like is almost a throwback. By
1: the the Titan Shift list, the Dredge list, and the blue-white spirits—arguably aspects of the Jun Shadow and green-white creature combo—are, you know, they've been around all year. But the the deck has been cleared for them to do more work. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I imagine someone like, saw the bannings and they they logged into MGGO, like the minute after the bans went live and just slammed, load this deck list last used 87 days ago and we're like, oh baby, not a single chain card changed out of the 75. Let's go drawing skull captain. <laughs> That's not true. They had to ask Glasspool Mimic at some point that showed up.
1: Yep. Uh, moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. There was literally hundreds of cards that could have been flagged here. Mostly we're still talking about silly reserve list movement, we're talking about old border foils, we're talking about premium cards, uh, original iconic versions of cards that aren't on the reserve list, and then other stuff like we talked about last week that may as well be on the banned list because they're never going to reprint it in its existing form. So first on the list we have Emery Lurker of the Lock foil extended art. Starting to Drain right out 40 to 60 or so. This is a card I've mentioned a couple of times in the last year as being very likely to get there, and I certainly own enough of them.
0: Uh, let's see, Emory. Yeah. This has taken longer to move, I think, than probably either of us would have expected, most likely due to the way that the metagame shaped up in Modern and Pioneer for that matter, I think. Well they had a very broken deck going
1: that got knocked back by a banning at, at one point, right?
0: Uh and,
1: like Mox Opal made made emory decks silly good.
0: Well you had Mox Opal and you also had um, Astrolabe, which got cut yeah. in modern. Sure. So yeah, there's there's literally two
1: copies of the foil extended no, two listings, five total copies of Nearmint, Emery Foils left, sixty-five for the first four and then 70 for the last one. And then that's it.
0: So future hundred dollar plus card, probably. It's a pretty good pickup for people who bought these back in what a month after a thrownable drain.
1: Yeah, I think that's when my first call was, yeah.
0: Omniscience out of the Masterpiece series, uh, the invocations and you know, the invocations had been pretty dry for quite some time. Um, <laughs> Cause they're from Egypt. Or um, amen sorry. Very sandy. Uh, but there's been some additional pressure on these as we've seen so far. Um, you know, we have been talking about the expeditions a couple weeks in a row, and I think we had like one invocation card pop up last week or the week prior, and now we're seeing another one. Um, this omniscience went from 140 to 210, supposedly. I know that this was probably one of the better cards. Interestingly enough, I think the artwork is probably worse than a lot of the other invocation art, but in terms of like card quality, like a card that you want to own and put into play in a big casual format, this was pretty high up the list. Just taking a look in Europe what we can
1: what these can still be sourced at. Looks like you can still get copies well under $100. So anybody just looking to claim one of these for the personal collection, it looks like with shipping you're probably looking at about 85 to 95 and if they basically don't exist in the us then you might as well snap them off because with the reaction to this this frame you will never ever see this frame reprinted at all ever
0: i mean i don't think at this stage we will get frame reprints i think but they are clearly going to be very rare like we went back to them to the expeditions, like the lands, and we got a new frame. So I would expect that to be kind of the standard going forward that they're typically gonna use a different frame rather than reprint a frame. It'll be a modified version of the frame.
1: It, it's possible that at some point they go back to Cat and you do get some kind of tweaked version of this that a- addresses the issues while still achieving the desired style. Um, uh-huh. But these specific incarnations are, I don't think, at any risk of reprint.
0: So uh, Alexis is saying that the list reprinted a fancy frame once or twice, which I was wondering about as I was saying it, um, but that they don't show up in foil. I wonder how hard it would be to put a foil into the list. Like, could they put honest to God foil invocation omniscience into the list?
1: Alexis, what what cards were reprinted in the list that had... Unique. It had special frames.
0: Cliff says brazen borrower.
1: Okay. In 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 the bra in the showcase version.
0: Here you go. Yeah, the uh, list right there. There's your planeswalker symbol.
1: Okay. I mean, showcase is d- is different than masterpiece, though. I mean, nothing's impossible. But the Eldrain showcase cards were well received and the cat ones were much less so. so-
0: my, my point was not that they will bring Invocation frames back. It was just like, I wonder of all of the special frames, if they will reprint them, right? Like we got the Throne of Eldraine showcase, the storybook frames. The next time we go to Eldraine and they do a showcase... The precedent's been set that they will not use that same storybook frame because they did that with uh, expeditions. But I guess if they really wanted to, they could, and I would expect eventually. But it's—I guess—it would be slightly surprising to see them return to a set and do the entire frame again rather than like one-offs in a couple of random spots. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens with
1: the list. If we get another year or two out on the list and they still haven't touched any of the masterpieces, that will be a pretty decent signal, since they are—you know—there's clearly value in them throwing them in there. For, for instance, one of the ways that they could mine that is the masterpiece inventions from Kaladesh, which are m- much more beloved than the invocation frames from Amonkhet, uh, don't exist in non-foil. So there's an opportunity there to print these things in non-foil and, for the first time ever, and that would be a pretty big big draw, actually.
0: Yeah, it's... And I, I see our chat's chatting about it a little bit, too. I... I'm, like we went back to Zendikar and we didn't get the same the expedition frames. They changed the expedition frames. Now the original Zendikar expedition frames were people were pretty lukewarm on the whole. The Kaladesh invention frames were popular. People liked those. So when we go back to Kaladesh, are they going to give us those frames again? My money's on probably not. I think they will give us new frames for Kaladesh, uh, which would really then say if a card shows up, you know, look at your Soul Ring Kaladesh invention. You are not getting this again. That was a one-time thing. And maybe we'll print these special frames in a non-foil version via the list or something down the road, but you are never getting this exact card again um, with respect to the special frames. I guess I don't really have a reason to.
1: Moving right along, we've got a uh, watery grave expedition version in theory going from 120 to 185. We talked last week about the shock expeditions that, didn't catch a new version through Zendikar Rising expeditions being under pressure. Uh, They don't really have a good place to show up anywhere else this year. They could, I suppose, show up in Modern Horizons 2. I think we mentioned that last week, but I don't expect it to happen. Last week, I think one of my calls was the Steam Fence expedition to go 98 or so to about 150, and as of right now, the lowest price on TCG is up to 125. Five listings left, Six total copies in that 125 to 140 range. So looks like we're going to get there on that one as well.
0: Nifty. Nice uh, nice choice there.
1: I mean, I think all, pretty much all of
0: them are going to be in, the, in a similar boat. What, what what, we haven't seen move nearly as much is the batch versions of these. No, I don't want to put Meyer on Bud Meyer. Bud Meyer. Uh, so we know that there's like these guys. But you'll notice that while we had them... In the original expedition, we also got them again, uh, which wasn't the case with the shocks, which is, of course, true to um, true to nature because I own a bunch of the fetch lands, not the shock lands. So the shocks <laughs> are going up and the fetches aren't. I would expect nothing different. Go, go back to that side-by-side that you had on the last page
1: because that shows you know, the likely result, this is the original expedition and here we have the refined one. So if they go back to Ket, you might get a refined version of the invocations, like I was saying. Yeah, although that, that an original frame, they, they seem to have a, a desire to leave as is.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with you. And you, we can look at that and go, oh yeah, maybe this look kind of similar, like this is version one, version two. If you stripped all the text of those off and you put every, like, Masterpiece frame next to each other and ask people to like connect which two came from the same plane. I don't trust that people would be able to guess that those are both to car. like those are pretty distinct frames. Fair when you so they're it's not even like they're trying to maintain the spirit of the frame, really, in that scenario. So, two weeks ago,
1: I called Coma Cosmos Serpent Showcases to go 13 to 30. Here we have Coma Cosmos Serpent regular version showing up on uh, the movers from 9 to 14.50. Certainly not standard that's moving that. This looks like a solid, not utterly unique uh, Simic card for mostly EDH and and Q purposes. Um, my My read here is at cal time, as we've been discussing in the Discord for the better part of a week. Is being underopened versus other sets. Keep in mind that we go double masters with VIP packs into Zendikar Rising with new expeditions into Commander Legends with a short print run and a ridiculous pile of good cards, both new and reprints, and then on into a pretty normal looking standard set that has about what you would expect to be going on and then has the special feature of having a multi hundred dollar Chase Phyrexian card. That's sucking up a bunch of EV.
0: Did you see that picture of the Japanese guy who opened double uh, Foil frexian Vorinclex in his pack? Well,
1: it was Foil Vorinclex, Vorinclex right?
0: Was it? I, they looked like they were both Foil. You shouldn't but, be able
1: to get two Foils in the same pack unless there was a mistake. I think that was... You, I, but he did get one of each, which, you, was ex, which
0: is extremely rare. You also shouldn't be able to get Strixhaven cards in your Kaldheim packs, but... <laughs> Ah, uh, that was funny. Although that could have been a setup. He, yeah, Alexis says it's foil and non-foil, but they, I mean that could have been a setup too. But man, what are the odds on that? How many packs like that go out? Like two? Yeah, three? Maybe. I, I, I've had a bunch
1: of fun with Coma this week playing time Draft. Uh, in one draft, I was the person casting the Coma, and the guy played the blue creature that lets you look at the top of my deck and decide whether the card goes in the graveyard. He's holding Disdainful Stroke. He sees Coma. Realizes, thinks he can counter it. Lets me have it. coma goes on the stack. He casts disdainful stroke. Realizes it can't be countered. in insta quits. Which was, it's going to be tough to top. Is one of my favorite moments of all time on Magic Online slash Arena.
0: I was just going to say the moment that you let them keep that, and then you disdainful stroke that, and realize the card says can't be countered. I. I- so can't fathom there's any option other than just right-click and see. Like, get up, walk away from your computer, hot under the collar. Like You can't even admit to your friends what you just did. You're so embarrassed. You're like, we can't talk about this. I just got to be angry, and my wife's not going to know why. I, I, I think he left Magic, actually. I think he's yeah.
1: he's he's quit for all the time. Uh, and then there was another game. I was facing a coma and managed to beat it with the blue-red wrath that does four damage to all non-giants. Followed up by the crush the weak off the back half of that card. Because on the third turn with that, he's got coma still on the board and he's got one serpent back in play. I'm pressing for the attack. But you get to scry three on the second stage of that saga. And on the third stage, any five casting costs or greater card you cast uh, gives you an additional benefit. So I end up crushing the weak, the coma, and swinging for the win. And the coma player was not pleased.
0: Uh, That is a card that you're going to feel real bad if you lose with. Yep. And it's
1: it's, every time it lands across from you, you get this like huge serpent animation around the screen
0: that signals your impending doom. It's (laughs) quite disheartening. Yeah. Open mouth, insert serpent. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, following that, we have City of Traders, uh, the, that old standby in Legacy. The Exodus copies supposedly climbing from 280 to 460, whatever, somewhere in those numbers from 200s to 400s. Um, I mean, it's a reserve list card. It's a big reserve list card. It's important in Legacy, does a lot of work there. Um, people do play this in EDH. They're wrong and they're stupid, um, but it does get played. Uh, but. I guess the important part here is it is a competitive, very competitive grade, reserve list card um, that is unlikely to be replaced ever. Like Wizards is not going to make a card that does something similar to this because this is a way outside of the bounds of what they normally design these days. Yeah.
1: Uh, is the Unhollowed out of Ultimate Master is foils going 46 to 76 or so, 65 percent gains. Very notable that this is the pack foil out of that set, not the box topper. Box topper has already uh, been called and gotten there and, and it has been a successful move for a lot of people. But just goes to show you, you take a like mid to high tier staple, leave it out of print for a few years, and this is what's going to happen.
0: Boy, those are what are the let's see, let's take a look at the box topper. Micaea okay, uh, starts at 60. Well, It's market 65. So it's actually slipped below the market. So none of these copies have sold recently. It's interesting. I would have expected it to do a little better. Well,
1: I, I know I sold copies in the 80 to 90 range, not long ago. So there was, there was definitely a spike that has now uh, transitioned into a bit of a retrace.
0: Yeah.
1: Next on the list here, we've got Hercules recall out of antiquities. Uh, Nothing too special about this card other than it being old, but going from 50 to 85 is par for the course alongside every other card from the 94 to 98 era that seems to be under pressure lately.
0: Yeah. This card has quite a few printings and I would show you if fall wasn't taken forever. I think TCG player might be giving it a hard time. It gets hung up when TCG player runs slow, but uh, yeah, Hercules recall was cheap for a very long time. I mean, look at all those printings. Uh, and then people kept playing it in their sideboards and we didn't get a lot of it. Finally, the modern masters version hit and the price came way down. Um, but yeah, I mean, antiquities is antiquities, right? So you're getting some action. And now that I have this card really blowing up on my screen next to me, I did not realize just how uh, PG 13 this woman is on the antiquities version.
1: <laughs> I, I'm more concerned with the low quality of the, the art, but you know, it is
0: first year of the game. It gets a, uh... Gets a pass. A, a nine-year-old holding this card back in 1996 would have been like, ooh, I got to hide this from my mom. <laughs> Her, uh, a Rick a ricksmithy's slumbering isle foils out of
1: double masters, 750 to 14 or 15 or so, 85% plus gains. Uh, that's notable because it's the only foil printing. This card's only been printed twice, once as a non-foil in Commander 2018, and then again as a foil in Double Master. So as the only foil printing, and that was also true of Basalt Monolith, which we'll probably eventually get there from Double Masters. Uh, it's only in 1,400 EDH rec decks, but it's a pretty cool card. And uh, I'm not super surprised to see the foils draining out. It is a cool card.
0: Uh, I... For how much supply there is on Double Masters, I'm a little surprised to see this hitting our, our records here. I mean, I have checked Double Masters cards to see if I can talk about them close to every week. And every week I look up some foil Double Masters card and I'm like, ah, there's still like 80 vendors and it's like not quite ripe enough yet for the cast. So to see a Rick Smith-y show up is like, it's, it's surprising. I would well, not have that. We'll get to some fresh signals on
1: Double Masters shortly here. Um, Azuri Renegade Leader Commander 2014, 9 to 17. This is just more of the Elves hype surrounding Kaldheim. Sapphire Medallion out of Tempest. This is the original old border version. that never got a foil. Uh, 30 to 60. Uh, 100% gains. They just basically drained out to, to more or less nothing. This seems like it's a, a potential target for... To show up as uh, old border foils for Temp uh, Time Spiral
0: Remastered, right? Uh, I mean, supposedly, yeah. I, it wouldn't be the first thing I would go to, but it definitely is the type of card. Oh, I don't. So I don't have the Tempest Remastered page up in front of me, and I'm sure Twitch will correct me. But this is uh, Time Spiral Remastered is still like a a normal draft set. It's like a Conspiracy or a Battle Bond, right? So then that means that they're going to be a little splashier with the power level. These are strong cards, but there are the type of cards like this could be like the premier uncommon cycle that makes it into time Spiral Remastered, And it would be a good target for it. Cause as you said, we've seen them very rarely. I think the, ch- the chief argument
1: against the cycle showing up in the old border foil slot is that they only have so many slots. And if you're going to run the cycle, you're going to run the whole cycle, which is five cards that they'd have to devote so you know there's a lot of things that could show up there i think it's unlikely these will be part of that but could be we'll see i mean it's weird because these have already existed in old border but not old border foil and so the and my understanding is that times file cards uh the old border foils i think there's also a non-foil version check correct me if i'm wrong but Sapphire Medallion will eventually catch a, re, uh, a reprint. It probably won't affect the availability of these original Tempest copies, which are just harder and harder to find.
0: So uh, Alexis says it's all Time Spiral stuff in the main set, and is believed to be only new to Old Border, which would cut the medallions out because they were in Old Border. Oh, I thought, it was the, I thought the rule was that they had never been Old Border foil. That's also what I thought, but I'm not speaking confidently to any of this without having looked through it in a while. All right, we'll we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I I still don't think they have a high probability of showing up there. And and people were
1: saying, you know, the last time we saw the medallions was in, I think, Commander 2014 in Commander decks, but now they're a lot more valuable, so they uh, are tricky to print into those decks. And we know that this year's five main decks that are going to be associated with Strixhaven's release are probably enemy color paired. So the medallions don't really make a lot of sense there.
0: Yeah, almost certainly. Also, you have to mute your phone now because I can't edit this out as we go. (laughs) No more, no string of eBay listings going off. (laughs) I don't think that was my phone. Uh, It wasn't mine. Hmm. uh, Ellie's phone in the behind you there somewhere.
1: Could be back there somewhere.
0: Subterranean Tremors, a card that I am admittedly gonna look up at the moment. Oh yeah, I remember this card. Uh, X in Red, well, whatever, I don't to two it's on the screen in front of you. But uh, 10 to 20 here, only 1,300 EDH direct so pretty low up- uptake. Um, but it is the only printing of the card, and we're not even talking about the foils here, we're talking about just the non-foils. Um, it's a nifty card, at least. Yeah, it's a it's single printing Mythic. It's a reasonable
1: Earthquake that has upside in the late game. And I think it's just you know a function of the fact that Conspiracy 2 didn't have a super deep print run and anything that wasn't reprinted from there and is either a staple and or Mythic is being targeted as time goes on. I mean, next on the list we have Recruiter of the Guard Foils going from 110 to presumably over 200 or so. Uh, and that's a single printing foil that uh, does have a different version, right? Was that a masterpiece at some point?
0: Uh, nope. There's all your versions, and that one's online. Mystery Booster, Treasure Chest, and the original printing.
1: Right, so there's only been the one foil, then the original? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is absolutely going to catch a foil reprint, potentially, as a
0: you know, in some kind of premium version at some point, uh, one of our, our callers here, you know, long time, long time caller, first time listener just pointed out that this is the best earthquake that exists, which is, which is fair. I mean, the card has got some potency to it. Um, I mean, it might be hamstrung by the fact that it's just a red card and people don't play as much red. Um, I, but that's fair. I,
1: I would argue it's a, it's a problem of just not having an,
0: enough of a hype cycle on the card. The,
1: yeah. the, set, the set was played for like two weeks at LGS events and then forgotten.
0: Yeah. It is, in, it's a type of card you kind of wonder like it, this whole class of cards, right? The the card where you look at it and you go, "Huh, I haven't seen this card. Seems good." almost even better than some of the other cards that are sort of adjacent to it that are way more popular. Why is this not seeing more play? And it kind of, you get to get to the like, well, the people who know this exists, and you're like, okay, if they put this on an episode of Game Nights, what's the price going to be? Because how many of those people just literally didn't see this card? I mean, this was in the in the hype rotation for what, two months in the summer of, uh, I don't know, what is that, 2016 or something? All right, So, so chat saying it's because of Torolf, God of Fury,
1: who, whenever whose text reads, whenever a creature or planeswalker and opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage, Toralf deals co- damage equal to the excess to any target other than that permanent. So if you slash slam a whole board, you could just finish the game with yeah. a, with the Tremors.
0: I mean, he's... I mean, that makes sense to me, but like how... that reads to me like a a play because how popular is... uh. Toralf, God of Fury actually going to be as a commander. I'm willing to bet not that much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're also presumably running Torbrand, Thane of Red Fell in that deck that boosts the damage output, and you're probably also running Fiery Emancipation. So the table could go go down in a hurry if you've got your good cards on the board.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not like there's any shortage of infinite mana combos and EDH. I, I It's a cool card, but, uh, you know... Falls in that bucket of it doesn't matter how cool we think it is. You know, people don't know about it; they're not going to play it. Yeah. So somebody, so it occurred to
1: somebody that that the new God had a good combo with it, and they realized that the inventory was not particularly low, and or some players who actually are going to build that deck. I mean, even if it's only you know a couple thousand people that decide to to build that particular commander, if you've only got sixty two copies of something spread across the North American internet, then
0: they can still hollow it pretty quick. Yeah, I bet supply was lowish, and somebody saw it, bought a couple, somebody else caught that the inventory went down, bought a couple and so forth. Bit of a cascade. Um, Millstone out of antiquities here, I gotta find the old artwork for you. Uh, 14 to 32, old, iconic card. I mean, Millstone was, this is where the term mill comes from. The idea of removing cards from people's library into their graveyard and when in that regard, uh, this was a, a legitimate win condition at some point in Magic's history. I'm, so, I'm sure
1: I'm sure there's an old school deck that can still put this to use, but in modern mill strategies, even if you were
0: running mill at EH, I don't think you'd be running this. You're paying one mana per card, uh, which is pretty slow these days. And it's not even a uh, limited activation you have to tap it. So this is way behind the times. It's interesting cause it's basically, it, it's a mono artifact. I bet there's a lot of
1: people in chat that weren't playing at a time where there was mono artifacts that you were only able
0: to use once a turn. That's why it doesn't have the tap symbol
1: in the original text.
0: Yeah, the the way this is written uh, as our chat has pointed out is it take the cards from target player's library and put them into target player's graveyard but it doesn't mean it's the same player. <laughs> so yeah. you could take them from, I can take it from your deck and put them in my graveyard, that's exactly. legal.
1: I can see plenty of arguments over that followed up by an animate dead.
0: Well, it actually uh, even if you were to follow the card as written as a state based action, your cards would return to the graveyard. They're supposed to be in because they can't legally be there. I, I don't think state based actions existed in 1995, but almost uh, certainly not. No.
1: All right. So next <laughs> on the list here, we've got Rebecca wizard savant out of homelands five to 14. 180% gains on the back of this being reserve list and a wizard. Just on general principle, having played in the Homelands era, I cannot get behind any Homelands cards ever being worth anything, nor that the sealed product a- along with Fallen Empires is suddenly worth something. That all is just so silly. Silly, silly, silly.
0: This, this is not a good card, but this is absolutely someone going, oh, it's a wizard and it's reserve and we're going to wizard school, but... Mm. Who, who's gonna buy this from you? Like no one's gonna look at this card and be like, "Ah, this is just the thing that I needed to finish my wizard school deck." I'm gonna go back and find every wizard that's ever existed. I'm gonna find the worst one that exists and put that in my EDH track deck and my EDH deck. I've been playing Magic for two years, and this is what I'm gonna do. Not I mean happen. This is four mana for a ultra
1: fragile zero one that deals two damage every other turn. <laughs> Um, but that said, the, the the prepackaged logic that we've been spouting for better part of a decade as to how bad reserve list cards are not going to sell has been deeply challenged lately. If All you got to do is take a look through our sales data reporting channel where everybody reports what they sold and for how much and where. And you'll see that plenty of these bad reserve list cards have been moving at fresh plateaus. So if, you, if, if you're just a casual magic player sitting around at home and you've got binders of this old stuff sitting around, before people change their minds, I would dig it out and, and look at selling.
0: I mean, if you could sell it, absolutely, I would take the money and run. I just, I, I can't in good conscience advocate trying to speculate on something like this uh, because it's just so, I mean, I don't doubt whatsoever that people sell copies, but at the same time, I would not want to be on the hook to try and sell them. I don't want to have 200 copies in my possession, but if I can find three in an old binder, I will certainly put them up for sale. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, get well is good, right?
1: Proteus staff foils at a mirrored in 44 to 130 ish, whatever. Like, I don't know what anyone's going to pay for the, the foil proteus staff. You want to sell them, but presumably if you have one lying around or got in, you know, ahead of this old border foil hype cycle, you could probably make some money. Um, I think this is the, a single printing card, right? In foil. I, I would imagine it's shown up in some commander decks, but probably never as a foil.
0: It is a single printing card, period. Just only ever. printed
1: in Meriden. Yeah, no reprint ever, huh?
0: Mm-mm. This All is right. it. This is the only one.
1: Elvis Champion at a 7th edition, non-foils from 4 to 14 on the back of Elves hype. I think we established last week that they hadn't uh, printed that very many times in the grand scheme of things. Uh, certainly in recent memory. Wait, Elvis Champion? Did, wait, did we say that? Because. No, 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 but go back to that list. I'll show you why. Tons of printings in a certain era, but almost nothing in the last 10 years.
0: Whoops, did I I throw myself out of the stream there? You did. Uh, Do we still have, (laughs) is everyone still here? Did I screw that up royally?
1: Hey, Chad. Oh, rip, Travis. We're good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're good.
0: Okay. You
1: got, so you got wizard bumping off. Somebody said.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's okay. A fair. I I clicked backspace on the wrong window there. Uh, yeah. Okay. So
1: there's, there's tons of Elvis champions, but not any recently. You got Junior Super Series, APAC, 10th edition, ninth, eighth, seventh invasion. That's all a million years ago.
0: Yeah, tenth edition is the latest one, which is still quite a while. I mean, there's a lot of printings of the card, as you can see. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, not new. This is one of those cards where I kind of wonder if the supply can't outweigh the age, just cause based on how many printings there were. But uh, but they're all shallow. I mean, yeah, this
1: is this is an auto uh, include elf lord, and elf stuffs has been moving. So I mean, if they reprinted this now, yeah, it's going to crush the price 10,
0: for sure. Ten bucks for the. Man, yeah, just dry across the board. Yeah. There's a lot of Elvis champions out there though. Like... Hiding. Yes, yeah. There's a ton of them out there, but they're all buried. hmm
1: They're in closets. Yeah. Alright, so Bladewing the Risen out of Scourge foils from 12 to 50. That's an old foil and a character they're unlikely to revisit.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, somebody pointed out that Elvish Champion has uh, Forest Walk, which I don't really print anymore. Which is a good point.
1: Yep. Um, sure, don't see much of that. Yeah, Land Walk is basically dead as a keyword.
0: You can see that sneak into the list maybe, which is obviously what they're going to use for a lot of stuff. But we've covered before that the list is not a meaningful inventory. Um, yeah, I mean, Blade Wing showed up as an uh, uncommon in IMA, so they could definitely bring this back again, similar to that sure
1: heart of yavamaya another reserveless card 3 to 50 20 or something uh for heart of yavamaya i mean this this is a substandard land at this point as well but Sarah Sarah, Angel foil fourth uh, caps the list, in theory, going from 75 to over $400. Is that a real price? I have no idea. But if I was trying to sell a foil seventh card to somebody for a very high price, I'd be wanting to sell an iconic one with good art, and this certainly meets that standard.
0: Yeah, this is – well, you know, I actually don't think this is – what I would consider iconic art, it's the wrong art on the foil seventh ones. No. Oh,
1: no, I'm saying it's an iconic card. And yes. The art, and it's the best art. Uh eh.
0: I mean, I think it, the 10th it, edition. Yeah, you're right. maybe the Greg Staples art is actually better. Like I think Greg Staples art is better, and I think Doug Schuler's art is better. I don't think the original art's better, but I do think it's the most iconic. It's, Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's better from a I remember cool magic cards. But Bottom
1: line, it's not going to matter because it's a 7th edition foil, and (laughs) the the narrative for that has already been written in stone.
0: True. All true.
1: All right. Uh, So now we're going to move on over to the top MTGO movers of the week, Uh, focusing on just a few things that jumped out at us. Omnath, Locus of Creation out of Zendikar Rising, going from 12... Uh, plus tickets to almost 19 tickets, 50% plus gains. That's a rebound move. Card is uh, still viable, at least in Pioneer, and uh, certainly going to see some EDH play for as long as they don't have that available on Arena. Wooded Foothills, the Onslaught version from 9 to 15 or so. It's the oldest like sexiest art version from Onslaught. I'm not sure if it was in Treasure chest and came off. Maybe if Ogo's hanging around the chat, he'll let us know um Ariok champion at a fifth dawn from 30 tickets to 50 plus tickets on the back of use in both the green white creature combo decks and hammer time often as a four of in the sideboard sometimes main deck for the green white creature combo builds
0: yeah this was uh all the rage for a little while this card got real expensive before it was printed in ima and all you could play was the fifth dawn version and uh john was really popular so Oriok champion was just like real good in that matchup as was uh mirrored champion, something like that. The three mana two, who had protection from black and red. They were both good choices. Uh, of course, none of that has any quite the same pairing as it does on magic online prices.
1: Oko chimed in and said that just the, the fetches in general are seeing a resurgence of demand just because people are out there to, Playing more modern, testing modern in the new format.
0: Mirrored and Crusader. Thank you. That's the card I was thinking of. Man, I played a lot of decks at Lost of the Sky. I did not like that card. It's nasty against the
1: right deck, that's for sure. I mean, against I've tabled that against Jund that those were memorable moments. Uh, personal tutor out of Masters Edition 2, a magic online only set, four to almost seven and a half tickets. On the back of it being, I think it was a forum and a legacy deck this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, finished very highly. Yeah, Oko says legacy Doomsday for personal tutor. Yeah, um, I've got I've got some German personal tutors lying around. If somebody wants some of those, I don't know how when I picked those up, but they are in inventory.
0: You have oh, uh, no, we don't have a we have person liquor Lermiester. You have you have you have a, you have a set of person liquors.
1: Person liquor Lehrmeisters. I'm sure, that, um, I'm sure the German members of our Discord are, are just shaking their heads as I am, yet another North American massacres their native tongue.
0: I am saying that as flatly as I possibly can. Just person liquor. I refuse to try.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, all right, so here's what we're gonna do for paper cards to watch. We're, we've only got two picks each, and then we're gonna let chat compete in real time with their best ideas. And this will be, be for... And this is uh, not limited to pro traders for once. So this will be anybody who's in chat. So $25 gift certificate for Cool Stuff, Inc. We'll probably give it, I don't know, five minutes or so for people to dump in their ideas. And uh, maybe we'll give away two to our two favorites. You pick one, I pick one.
0: Can I enter for yours? Mm, no. Okay. Save, I saved my really good pick this week for, uh, <laughs> <Really>? for this. <laughs> so I'll,
1: I'll jump in with one that... People were really hot on when it first hit the streets. Then they got all sad because they felt like there was too many around, but lo and behold, (laughs) the super staples always win out. I'm talking about cyclonic rift foil borderless from double masters, VIP packs, Lo and behold, the inventory is not quite as deep as you might have been led to believe. I have this pegged to go $30 to 60 sourced from the EU currently 40 to 45 on TCG, but you can definitely get them cheaper over on card market 45 listings left on TCG with no major walls uh, of note. I don't think that there are huge piles of VIPs lurking that are going to be cracked as this stuff makes progress. That'll be a slow trickle, if anything, moving forward. The thing about the VIP foil borderless was that it was just, it was so front loaded you had, you know, Tales of Adventure cracking 3,000 uh, packs of that at 100 bucks a pop or whatever one weekend, and literally all the rest of us doing the same. And then everybody trying to sell their product into the market. And for a while, the hype cycle was so strong on those cards that you we got away with it. But three to four weeks later, people moved on to the Zendikar Rising hype, hype cycle and started pre-ordering all of that product and expeditions and so forth. And then it was Commander Legends and things just moved a- away from those cards And, you know, they were set then for a longer timeline. And I think a lot of them, you know, the mid, the ones that have a mid level of play are still on that 12 to 18 month cycle. But Cyclonic Rift and some of the other ultra super staples, they probably get there sooner. Like I put six to 12 months here to be safe, but it could be less. It could be four to six months. Um, And all I know is $30 copies in Europe will one day probably be a $100 card. It just... It might take a couple years.
0: I know I've looked this up a couple times and I'm pretty confident this is the best Cyclonic Rift too. Um, it's a very cool card and we'll probably get it in full art again, maybe this year, maybe next year if I would assume by 2023 at the latest, but this one is pretty cool looking. Like even if we get another full art, this one still looks pretty cool um, and is very high on mine. And I'm sure everybody's list of, like, okay, can I buy these foil full art cards from double masters yet? Like, cause this is the one I want to get in on. Uh, cause I think this will be a hundred dollars. It's just like, you got to wait till it seems like it's the right time to strike. But if you're getting them at Europe at, you know, essentially 30% off of what you're paying in America, then that's a, a, a no brainer. Well, and here's the thing.
1: I think the biggest risk to this card in the short to midterm still not long term i think this version long term no matter how many other printings they gave us will still get there but in a shorter time frame this this could really have a good shot at showing up as a old border foil and time spiral remastered and those will be nice and and
0: desired yes that is i suppose possible i have thought too much about it but
1: now again Almost anything could end up in those slots from the modern era. But Cyclonic Rift could also be in a secret layer, as Chats pointing out, and can be used to sell bundles that way. And they could do a secret layer that's spell focus, like instant sorcery Focus near Strixhaven. And it could also be in, somebody said, uh, Commander Collection Blue. It could
0: have a, a fancy Cyclonic Rift, but... Uh- there's a lot of places they could put this card right like we could agree with that like they have they have a lot of choices for how to distribute more cyclonic riffs and i mean if i click view all prints here we've already got five five separate editions uh these are the these two are both from double masters so it's been printed four separate times um but i mean the card is like the number one blue card or close to it and I think what we've seen with cars like the Soul Ring from the Kaladesh inventions and several of the other inventions is that even if you have other versions, each each one is capable of standing on its own. And at the moment, this is still the only full art cyclonic rift. So even if we get another good cyclonic rift, like a, a foil old border copy out of times or remastered, they will they can exist independently of, a, of each other for for a while um, until we get just too many. So I. Um, I, I wouldn't even be that worried about the additional copies. I, I would be more worried about the double master supply than I would be of a second version coming along. All right. What's your uh, first selection here for the week? Well, it looks like you and I were of a similar mind. Um, the first card that I picked up this week is uh, Mystic Reflection. I'm looking at the extended art foils out of Kalbheim, um, although I, I think the non foils are probably also pretty solid but you're gonna you might you, that there's a pretty good inventory on those so they're uh, a little bit longer there but the foils on these are about thirteen dollars right now uh, they are in about eight to nine percent of Eda trek decks. so you get you get eight or eleven percent depending on which page you look at so not exactly sure which one it is but definitely in that ballpark of about ten percent of blue tag deck since it's showing up i think there's a lot of utility to this card we talked about this on our Kyle time episode with jason um both of them <laughs> that you can do some fun stuff with this card that i think people probably miss at first blush and i think it's going to end up working in more places than people expect it to um and to see the the foil borderless at 13 dollars right now is kind of surprising the supply is pretty low um the strong edh support i think there's uh I, I, I'm not exactly clear what the release pattern on those call time collectors boosters are. You will definitely have a better sense of that than I will. So maybe there's a lot more inventory in the pipeline for these to come, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not the case. Um, so, you know, if you can grab well, these. Re- so far the
1: impression we have is not that Cal was super overprinted per se. It's more that it wasn't, it's not selling as well as something like the Zendikar Rising Cbs or the Commander Legends Cbs. Uh, the first of which was overprinted to the detriment of the second. Yeah. Um, Kaldheim has a normal amount of collector booster product out there, but because it is largely a Vorenklex lottery so far, the and people were, uh, you know, in the finance community were scared off by the fact that the uh, very few of the good cards got foil extended arts that were uh exclusive to the collector boosters, uh because so many of the cards were given showcase treatments that were available in any product mix. But it does I do get the impression again that overall Kelheim is being underopened and we seem to be seeing some early motion on some key cards as a result.
0: Well if we're seeing if the product is going relatively underopened, I mean that's going to leave you in a position where the cards that are good and valuable that are from the collector's boosters are going to do well um because there's just not gonna be that many of them on the market so i I like the the extended art missile reflection here the foils at 13. i mean i could see them hitting 30 this year um possibly even by fall depending on how all that shakes out the non-foils at like five bucks are pretty solid too you're gonna be waiting longer on those but given the traction we've seen on other non-foil extended art cards that are popular in edh i think that might have some legs
1: Yeah. Jeff, Jeff ten sixty from our discord chimed in with uh, these are not any cheaper in Europe. And indeed I'm on the card market page and, and they're actually a little bit more expensive in Europe. So uh, the TCG pricing is, is going to get pushed up uh, given time. The only thing I I have to say about this card is that it is extremely powerful and versatile, but it's the kind of card that doesn't parse well at first glance. Like I don't think it has great showcase appeal um, because the card, needs to be introduced or explained to you. You need to see it do its thing. So if it features prominently on, uh, you know, a, a major YouTube commander channel or whatever then, and that happens a few times and it's gonna move some copies, but it's also the kind of card that can fade into obscurity just because of its kind of unusual templating.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not as elegant as cascade, 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 cascade. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can see your point. Uh, I, I think it, it would probably it probably benefits from being new if this was an old card right If this was like Lorwin era or you know whatever and I was like oh this card is looking really good because you know supplies getting kind of low I'd be like yeah but nobody can read the damn thing and it's old people forgot about it that seems um that would be a very legitimate concern I would I would expect that it's less of an issue just because the card's new so people have a chance to like see it and talk about it in a set people drafted um but worth keeping in mind I suppose
1: yeah, K-Ultra says it already was featured on Game Nights, and other people are mentioning that it was used with, you can use it with Orvar, or it's real nasty with Avenger
0: of Zendikar, of course. Yeah, that I, was the one I pointed out when we were talking to Jason. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> As I talked through that on cast, I was like, okay, now I'm into this card. Like, when I started talking about this, I wasn't that into it. And then I thought about Avenger of Zendikar. I was like, okay, I'm in. We're, this is a good card. All right, so moving on over to
1: my second selection of the week, I'm gonna go with Goldspan Dragon. Join you in the Cal Time focus. You can currently get foil mythic uh, extended arts of Goldspan at 35, which is not that great. There was a cheaper pricing uh, during release weekend, but it's already started motion. And I don't see that motion being likely to slow down. The current copies on TCG player start around 38, so you're gonna get them in Europe uh, a few bucks cheaper, uh, but there's only 21 listings yet. This is a future 70, 80, $90 foil uh, uh, extended art. It's a dragon. It's reasonably costed. It has immediate impact on the board, does damage immediately, starts making treasure tokens, can fix for for mana in two, three, four, five of color decks. They're gonna keep giving us stuff that makes dragons good. They're a focal tri- tribe in the game. And I've played with this enough in limited this week in Kaldheim to know that this is a nasty nasty beast.
0: Uh, I kid you not, I had the gold span dragon extended art foil page open on my browser when I was trying to decide what cards to pick this week and ended up closing it with the expectation that I might return to it next week. So thanks for stealing my pick next week. yeah, much obliged. Yeah, this card is this card is great. And uh, I somebody yeah. on I, I saw a tweet that somebody was comparing this to um, the one from M21. Terror of the Twin Peaks. Sure. Which has basically the same place play per pattern, like the 8% decks. Uh another like strong dragon, monocolor red dragon, that was already a good ways away ahead of this one and uh they, you know they kind of compared like oh that if this card did this from m21 call has got a pretty good setup to do the same thing and i and i know yeah it's a good point so uh yeah i think gold dragon is good
1: well in terror of the peaks foil extended art is a valid comparison because we called that early on and it's already at lowest price copy on tcg is 85 dollars, headed to 100 plus in a hurry
0: cool cool beans Um, so yeah i like it i very much like it
1: (laughs) i I mean i just tried i just tried to put eight in my cart on card market and somebody in chat had already bought them so good on you for snapping those off
0: yeah see this is probably doing this live if we do it recorded we can go buy some of these cards as we're talking about it and then wait until wednesday to release it but now you guys are now, now they get to compete in real time. It's, so yeah, it's I don't like that. It's, it's stealing the rug out from underneath us. It's hard to do it in real time while we're trying to record. Usually, I wait till after the cast is over. You know, it's funny if you go and you look through all of my, if you go look through by email at all of like my purchase receipts, they're like all Tuesday nights and Wednesday afternoons, and it's because it's like that's when I'm really paying attention and like doing stuff. Um. All right, so I'm gonna finish up a card with with a card that I did not expect to talk about this week and it caught me off guard and i was like okay sure let's do it uh maskwood nexus which like i've you know i went on record as being like kind of lukewarm about in the in the cast before but the uh it's in five percent of decks but it's an artifact so it's like just under 500 lists on edh rack which is up there i think there's only one card from call one non-land card from call that had more total number of decks on it uh the supply is low it's lower than mystic reflection for the extended art foils and the climb is steep um i mean i I'm, i do you can get a copy right now for 11 dollars, and it ramps up to like 13 or 15 like real quick uh, so you've got a low total supply. You've got a steep ramp that's above the market price, which is good. Uh, and it, it just seems really well positioned. People are buying this card. So, you know, buying them at 11 now, uh, you know, maybe flip them for like 25-ish later this summer. Uh, seems totally fine to me. I mean, I again, I don't like, honestly, I don't love the card, but the numbers look good. And it seems like people are buying it. So, sure, why not? And I think the nonfoils here are also probably very good. Uh, I think the nonfoils here actually probably look at the moment better than Mystic Reflection. So that's like a, a tack-on pick, too. The thing about
1: this card is that it's just open-ended synergy in
0: every direction with every tribe
1: from here to Eternity. So, in my mind, that just signals strongly that it's going to get there. I also am proud to, to note that I have this in my MDG Price uh, sealed tournament pool alongside Haunting Voyage. Haunting Voyage reads four double black sorcery, choose a creature type, return up to two creature cards of that type from your graveyard to the battlefield. However, if the spell was foretold, return all creature cards of that type from your graveyard to the battlefield instead. So, people playing against me, get ready. I fully intend to bring my entire graveyard back with a Maskwood Nexus out.
0: Yeah, and it only costs you seven mana to do that. Nine mana, nine mana total. If that
1: brings four or five creatures back in the mid game, and there includes Sir Rolf's pack mate, I'm going to be just fine with that.
0: That is true. That's a that's a 18. Is that a 19 land deck there to hit it's seven it,
1: land? No, it's 17 because I have I have good fixing and
0: a couple of glittering frost. You're planning on foretelling a haunting voyage with 17 lands in your deck? Yep. Yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this RAM, This RAM. Okay. We'll be, we'll be all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I don't know the set all that well. I, I, I would rephrase that. I don't know the set limited at all. Keep, so keep, maybe keep, in mind, keep in mind that like
1: you don't have to foretell it. You can cast it for six, which is very reasonable. Right. You, can, right, right, you right, cast right. six in this format all the time. Sure. Unless unless red, white runs you over early.
0: Okay. Uh, so now we're going to have to pick. We have to scroll through the chat and look at our our suggestions here.
1: All right, so let us let's, let's uh, let me throw out a few here that catch my eye. Uh, I already picked off those Sylvan Tudor Judge Foils, so we are in agreement on that, Sayonetta. Um, that was it. Wants. Foil Giver of Runes. I want to say that that was a cast pick not long ago. Let me just
0: take Might a look. These are 40 right now, 38 bucks. There's kind of a deep supply on those feel like if you're picking foil if you're picking mother runes at this point give her runes anyone who's into runes um i think you're doing that on the speculation that it's going to get good in modern now that stuff has changed which is hmm, i'm not saying you're going to be wrong but i'm saying i'm not real eager right now to make that play that's my read on why you would pick that so i last called it
1: October twenty seventh, episode two forty three. Foils to go twenty to forty. What's currently what's current PCG?
0: Thirty eight.
1: Well, I mean the pick's already there. <laughs> yeah. So, so that 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 win's already been logged. But but that being said, how deep is the inventory currently?
0: Yeah, it was deepish. I mean thirty five vendors. So I mean if it was like six or seven vendors, I would be more comfortable with it. I don't think I'm super on board with that at the moment. To potentially double again. These foil full art massacre worms are seven dollars. Ooh, yeah, but how deep is that? Eighty-six vendors on it. Like, this is the type of card that I I know I have looked at massacre worm before because this card is very good. And then I'm sure I opened this and I went eighty-six. Where are these cards coming from? That is a well, lot. These, these
1: were easy to pull in the collector boosters for uh, Core Twenty One. The, uh, the showcases were plentiful. So the, I mean, I'm not super surprised to see how deep this inventory is. Th- this one, you just gotta give some time. Like this will get there, but it could be
0: a year, it could be two years. I don't, I don't think it's a priority pick at this moment. Yeah, it, it's like, it's a card that I really wanna pick, but it doesn't feel like it's the right time to pick it. The Sylvan Tudor judges, Judge Foyle. 34 on card market. Oh, this is, this arbitrage stuff feels like cheating when you're doing uh, <laughs> the listener picks. Let's see. So these are, looks like about 50 bucks right now. So these are 35 on card market. The $32 credit buy list on CK. That seems fine. Seems fine.
1: Your uh, oldest Twitter fan there called out Erebos Secret Layer version, which uh, partners well with the, I think it was Perforos call I made from the same set. Uh, Let's just see. Yeah, Erebos God of the Dead.
0: I don't see that on here. It's in here somewhere. I'll take your word for it. All right. There's a lot of these. (laughs) It's a lot of these to read through. Oh, that. I see. There it is. Oh, I can do that. Oh, look at that. Look at that cool technology. It's amazing. Yeah, so click the secret layer drop version there. That is a cool artwork.
1: Yeah, so how many? He said very, so, very shallow on these. This, so, was, this looks pretty good. I mean, you've got you've got a real steep ramp. You've got no supply, and we know there's no point of resupply. So, I'm I'm going to go ahead and claim claim this one
0: from TK. I so. I like, all these numbers look good. I'm not debating that whatsoever. Like 11 vendors, a steep ramp. Uh, I mean, all of that looks good. I think the art is better than the normal copy. Although, admittedly, probably not by a huge amount. My only concern with the secret layers, is I'm never exactly sure what the release schedule on them looks like. So this was around the time theros beyond death right so i'm presuming all of these have made it to the people who wanted them but i'm not even sure about that so it's like i don't know some of these stupid secret layers like they're on sale this month and people aren't going to get them till august no so, no, no. It, this is this is this time last year this is long since over with well that's i mean that may be true in Erebus's case that might be true i'm just kind of saying like in general the secret layers always concern me because i'm like i have no idea when the stupid card actually showed up
1: I just went, I just bought four on card market for less than 70 euro total, 66 total all in. So I'll uh, I'll name and claim it. Good all job, right. TK, I forget your first name, sir, but you have won the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff, Inc. from yours truly. Um, we'll see what Travis settles on here.
0: Well, now another pressure's on. Somebody picked Watery Grave, which is kind of funny. The Watery Grave expedition, which we already talked about earlier. Yep. Um Kamal, this is this is. I feel like I'm going to be rushed into a pick here because this, this takes a couple minutes. Yeah, um, T-
1: TK, I know Erebus wasn't on the spreadsheet, but I ch- chose Perforo, some secret layer,
0: not so long ago. Kamal Croza, nine dollars. I mean, edge edge foils are going to get there.
1: I mean, how many how many are left?
0: Let's see, is this guy? people play this card. This is what I do every time I look at a card, you gotta go through all these steps. As a command, not a popular commander.
1: No, it's about him being in the 99 and he'll get, he yeah. sees play, but the the inventory on the, this particular etched mythic is still pretty deep. Yeah. Like I think, it, I think if you're buying in these and you don't have better options, like you're not, you don't have opportunities to do, near-term arbitrage or quick flips, then this is the kind of thing where if you're willing, comfortable holding this for a year to two years for a double up, you'll get there.
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, this guy's talking about the, Brian's talking about the foil, he's got BT. Toxic Deluge, I just BT. Box stopper from stopper.
1: from the VIP packs.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I have absolutely looked at this card multiple times, but I think this also has the issue of being relatively deep supply. Again, another 70 event, another 70 copies, which is the same thing.
1: Uh, show, show me something like the Erebos folks. And serve preferably some, something that people can pick off somewhere relatively easily. It's not completely sold out, but the next 10 or 20 copies will get it there. Someone asking, what is average shipping from Europe to the U.S.? Well, what most of us do in MTG Price Pro Trader is we have a bounce shipping partner or use a shipping service out of Europe where you have all your purchases on card market shipped to a single location. And then every couple of weeks, every month, every quarter or so, you get them all bounced on over to wherever you happen to reside. All right. That, that usually costs me 30 or 40 bucks a package.
0: TK, you're only allowed one, so I can't look at your Thematic Compass pick. Yeah. Dream Devour. Oh yeah, this one also had relatively low supply, um, but I don't think the cards, oh, this is one that gives them all four Tell that's right. This is actually kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, this card, this card has been underestimated broadly, but not by our Discord. This is getting brought up because it's been talked about plenty in the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord this week. And I know people are already out there uh with their deep piles of this under six bucks,
0: yeah, this card is interesting, and I remember talking about it during the set review. not a lot of decks so far, but it is a cool effect um I mean the second half of that isn't even relevant this is interesting um, yeah you know
1: you know how I what I like to do with cards that I randomly get to foretell is play them with cards that let me play everything at instant speed
0: mm-hmm <laughs> what are you What are we talking about? Lay line of anticipation or something else? And,
1: and similar effects like or in in that camp too, oh, staples I mean, that staples that are happy to allow you to operate at instant speed.
0: Court of grace. I think we talked about the green one. Supply on this is not too bad. we got, a, we've got prices below the TCG marketplace price, which always tells me that it's been dropping a little bit. Um, so that always concerns me. Uh, man, there's so many of these to look through. All of a sudden, because uh, we're putting the pressure on.
1: FEA Burning Rune Demon. Have a look at that one.
0: It's just all calledheim all the time here tonight. Oh, this is the essentially uh, their demonic tutor demon. Yeah, this is this is actually so I will point out that this has almost 50 to 100% more supply as a mythic foil extended art than um, the rare foil extended arts we talked about. True, and
1: I think this is only going to be see modest play. Just because it kind of blends into the background it doesn't have like an ultra unique effect but i will point out that there are very few mythic foil extended arts from Keldheim. and if the collector boosters are out there at whatever price and they're going to get cheap similar to what happened with uh, theros beyond death or icoria it doesn't mean that there's more of these in the market it means that there's less because less of those boxes are being cracked and this these results are not super deep, and the ramp's pretty steep. Like there's 20 copies or so under 10 bucks, but then starts edging up 13, 17, 20 plus. So I, I wouldn't want to be really deep on this card, but I would be comfortable snapping off a handful under 10. You're still
0: talking about the demon, right? Yeah, Burning Ring Demon. Yeah, I mean it's not terrible. It just doesn't it doesn't click for me, you know.
1: And what's the what's the play pattern like for burning Rune so far on edh it's got to be real modest
0: see see command. It. doesn't seem terrible austere oh, commands in a ton of decks. 32 vendors not terrible that's not terrible oh did this jump? yeah the, the burning Rune demons in three
1: percent in of black decks since release that's likely to scale down towards one percent which means that by this time this next year it'll probably be at a thousand to fourteen hundred decks or something
0: that still means there could be five to 10,000 people in the world that want it. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just, you know, it doesn't isn't quite strong enough for me yet.
1: Jeff1060 threw out uh, FEA Doomscar from Kaldheim.
0: Doomscar. Oh, that's the. Portal oh, Wrath. Wrath, yeah. I was looking at that earlier. That one's not on bad.
1: One of the things I like about Foretell and EDH is that your Soul Ring is giving you basically free Foretell. This is the wrong Doom Scar. Extended Arts, pretty still relatively deep, and this is a rare, not a mythic. So $10 foil extended arts of this, will they get to 20 to 25, say 18 months
0: out? Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I feel like I'm already off of the Doom Scar just because, again, the supply on this is two three four times as high as the other call time rares we were looking at so like i'm just just off of that data point it's like well okay there's three to four times as much as this is the other ones like well, I, i'll come back to it basically like i'm not buying it today but i'm going to keep an eye out on it yeah it's, it's not any
1: any cheaper in europe either you're looking at about this paying the same price actually a little more europe's about 12 bucks a copy versus nine to ten in the US currently. I, I feel the same way about this one as I do about the demon. Like, I wouldn't be want to be super deep on it, but I'd be willing to buy three or four copies and expect to get there in a longer-term horizon.
0: This guy wants me to get foil scavenger grounds? Is this that popular? Only
1: exists in foil from that one printing.
0: Yeah. I will be honest. I have really 20,000 decks. I have really backed off on non extended art foils. Cause as a player, I feel like I'm not terribly eager. Well, all right. I mean, <laughs> our Twitch chat could empty this out in the next couple of minutes if they wanted to, does it, I don't know. Does this count? <laughs> if it's, you get three yeah. of your friends to buy it, and suddenly it's twice the price. You, know, you almost game it here. That that is the 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 the
1: rubric of these people getting be able to call out live. But yeah, I mean, with eight results left, this this is obviously going to get there. And if they reprint it somewhere, then you got trouble. But because it's a desert, it's probably safe for a while. It's also not like a major staple in non-ADH formats. So they don't have a lot of impetus to be trying to reprint this anytime soon. It's the kind of thing that you could expect to show up in, you know, Commander Legends 2 in 2022 or something. Well, I will admit to finding this
0: as a card a little underwhelming, but that's, but that's, that's more about me than them. Um, I see that, It's in 20,000 decks, which is pretty solid, right? Like that's, that's a lot of numbers. Like that's what we care about is the number of decks that you see it and being able to tutor the ability to exile all graveyards is very good. And you don't even necessarily have to eat scavenger grounds. And that supply is obviously very tempting. Um, I mean, you're looking at, uh, 11 copies total. That's pretty good. Um, I see one guy's talking about the rankle full art foils. Those were my pick a little while ago that was back towards run of drain, but I had them on a pick. Um, you know, I'll give it, I'll give it to scavenger grounds here. I think that's, uh, that's pretty solid. You know, if you're buying these at eight bucks, you can probably flip them for 15 to 20 later this year, for later, you, later this broadcast. And for the people in chat that definitely have card
1: market access in Europe, you can get these for closer to six bucks. So go ahead and snap off
0: a few of those to your heart's content. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but I, the Osir Command was interesting. The air Command and Quarter Grace seem like they might be worth thinking about. I'm not there on them tonight, but um they weren't bad ideas. Uh okay. okay. Alrighty. So that that is uh who who
1: won the twenty five dollar gear certificate? Christoph. Christoph, who right. I think is a pro trader. I think I think that's a pro trader. So we got one pro trader and uh one non. I can't remember if TK is a pro trader or not. I know he's been all up in our business on Twitter for years, but I can't recall if we ever called him over to the dark side. Oh, he has. All right, so ProTrader's won both. Uh, fair enough. So we'll get you guys those $25 gift certificates to a Cool Stuff ink uh, after the episode. And uh, I guess we'll transition to just general chat. We'll uh, talk a little bit about maybe the, the history of the cast, how it came to exist, and... Uh, you know, how it fits into the larger mix of, uh, content products and services for MTG price and maybe make some predictions about where we're headed for the future. Uh,
0: so, the, the first thing I want to say is that this is that cause I saw people asking the, uh, biscotti liqueur that I had mentioned on cast a couple of weeks ago, the Ferrari biscotti liqueur smells like cookies, tastes delicious. Uh, yummy. The uh didn't the podcast didn't appear fully formed. If memory serves me, I pitched the cast to you, yep. um, because I was looking at what a couple other people were doing, and I was like, hey, people should listen to me. I want a platform. <laughs> and I was like, I should do a cast. Who should I do it with? And I'm like, I I'll go talk to James and see what we can put together. Um, and I definitely did not have a two and a half hour cast in mind when I came up with it, if only because I was like, I don't want to sit in front of my computer for three to four hours a night doing it. But it was hard not to do that once, you know, we kind of sat down. But originally, the plan was to do like 15 or 20 minute episodes.
1: Yep. And I do I do recall some resistance on my part to pulling the whole thing together when you first pitched it. Uh, And then later, you had to deal with resistance over wanting to make this basically the format we're running now, like you were you were looking to do the video version uh, of this. And, um, you know, I guess I guess
0: if this is reasonably successful and people liked it, then maybe we'll do it more often. Yeah, that was my pitch like two years ago. I think that was like at the end of our third year. I was like, we should do video. And I think I even hinted at it in social media a couple times, like, okay, we're going to, tr- we might try something new for season four, but we couldn't really get it off the ground. And so we just stuck with this. Cause I mean, the audio only is easier, both in terms of coordinating it all. I I haven't d- dealt with the audio after a live stream yet. We will see how that goes. Uh, I mean, there is like a non-zero percent chance it just doesn't end up on SoundCloud because there's no great way to do it at the moment. Um, also I have to care about what I look like, which, is like more effort than not <laughs> on a
1: brand. Especially, especially during COVID, this is the first time
0: I've had clothes on in weeks. <laughs> well, it's it's been below freezing for, for a month. You're still walking around the house in your underwear? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I'm from the great white North. Someone's asking if about wearing bathrobe, uh, which is funny because I have had on a bathrobe like every single day for a month. And this is the first time I have put on real clothes.
1: Oh, they're they're asking if your oh. your sweater is a bathrobe.
0: They, oh they no. Continue to get us confused. No, this is not a bathrobe. This is a shawl collar sweater. There you go. Um. So let's see. Okay. So so it's,
1: so it's funny because when before we had pulled this cast together, people forget that the original cast that I was on was actually for Quiet Speculation.
0: Oh, were you on a Quiet Speculation cast?
1: Yep, for a while. The. Because when I came into the MTG Finance scene, it was around the time that I was doing all the research for Shelf Life, the uh, collectibles-related platform startup that I, I ran for a few years. And part of that was getting more active in the magic community uh, doing research. And you know I set up the MTG Critic account on Twitter because I felt like there wasn't enough Uh, critical analysis going on on the business side of Magic. It wasn't even that I was all that interested in getting into the MTG Finance side. I just wanted to see more discussion about how Hasbro and Wizards were doing as a company because I was an investor. Um, And it was a few hops, skips, and jumps from there to getting much deeper into this whole scene. Um, You know, I've always been, had some hustle when I was like seven years old. I was running a bank at my uh, my local schoolyard where anybody who forgot their lunch money, I would lend them the money and then charge them an extra 25 cents. So there was some loan sharking in my early youth. I ran a babysitting service when I was 14 or so, where I had six or seven different people working for me, and we were banking a, a few thousand a month doing that. And uh, you know, I took business and uh, economics in college, and so on and so forth, and have been running my own businesses since my, my early twenties. So it was not that surprising that I would be interested in the, you know, financial side of the collectibles market, given what we were doing with shelf life at the time. And yeah, it was. I was doing articles and podcast work for Quiet Spe- Speculation, as well as doing articles for MGG Price. And at a certain point, QS tried to recruit me to join their executive that didn't work out largely because it didn't feel like they had the money. And, uh, then I was, you know, the MTG price, uh, business looked like it was going to fall apart because the original owner just went through a series of tragedies, didn't, had an insanely busy work career and didn't look like he was going to be able to put any time or effort into it. All of us kind of got stranded for a few months without pay. And uh, there was just a, a gap that needed filling. So I stepped in to resolve all of that. And by the time we were done cleaning all that up, we were in position to expand things. And then a couple of years ago, you convinced me to launch the Discord and start building out the community, which has been obviously been tremendously successful. And uh, here we are. We got Discord, the, the, the weekly articles, the index, and the podcast as the
0: various table legs that hold the whole thing together. So I pitched the cast, and now here we are five years later. I pitched the Discord, which then spawned everything. My next pitch is TikTok. You gotta start an MTG price TikTok, and that'll be the next pillar of the brand. And that's where people will get their, their uh, MTG finance data from in song form. Finance data in TikTok form, it's gonna feel like crypto advertising, and there's really no way around it. We really need to talk about. Uh, wait, hold on. <laughs> you're gonna hear about Mystic Reflection while blinding lights, flashing light, blinding lights is playing in the background, and that's gonna be like the next tier of, of art and business here, man. It's listening to the weekend and talking about magic cards. Um, well, and then and then we can start a crypto service where we
1: take our best entity finance picks, and you can own the moment where we pick them, exclusively oh, yeah. uh, bound to the blockchain, and that'll be big, big money. I mean, that's certainly where we're going for 2022.
2: It will.
0: <laughs> you'll be able to post the. You'll be able to blockchain. The idea to pick something as a spec so that you can then own the official idea to have bought something. So if people ever go, who you know, who who came up with this? You could be like, I own the original NFT for specking on Mystic Reflection. And that up. would be worth nothing. Um, Oko's in the chat here, so let's bring him in. We're gonna try this out here. Can you hear us? Did it work? yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, look at that! This is a fancy tool here. Hey, gentlemen, how are
1: you? Oco oh, in the flesh. That's that's freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> He's been a text based character for so long.
3: It's true. I uh, yeah, and I'm wedged in my bedroom here. We we live in a little small apartment in uh, Washington DC area. So, excuse the uh, the background. But I got I got my painting behind me. A little bit of something. <laughs>
0: Price per square footage out there is, uh, it's a, it's a couple specs a month, I'm sure.
3: Right. Well, I'm originally from Minnesota, and there you could, I, we had a three bedroom house, corner lot, nice yard, and we paid three times that for our condo, which is basically nothing.
0: That yeah. Was- that,
3: that, that uh, and I would
0: imagine that real estate out there has only gotten worse in the okay. last handful of years
3: yep 100. percent. it's I mean bitter war on literally everything so
0: <laughs> every moment of your existence in DC is just battle for battle. I used to I, live in um,
3: Alexandria. okay I, I'm yeah. on the Maryland side so we, we don't we don't go over to Virginia but <laughs> <laughs> I, I always do wonder though with with prices at what they are, how much I pay per month just in square footage to store cards. You know, it's because I got I got a nice spot dedicated for a couple towers that my wife hates. So,
0: <laughs> just yeah, you really have to go vertical out there. You need to find apartments with a high ceiling height so that you can really stack your cards up. Get, which, get those five rows stacked up, Yeah, which will actually add really extra value to your life because. Yeah. In several years, when you're trying to get a, a you know one of those you know five thousand six thousand count boxes out of that top shelf, and it falls and kills you, you now have a good story about how you died. Like, oh, my magic cards fell on me and killed me. Uh, try getting past the pearly gates with that one. <laughs>
1: so, so, for those that don't know, Oko is the mod that runs our Magic Online uh, channel, uh, where they talk about uh, the. Waning days of digital finance for Magic: The Gathering. Obviously, with Arena making uh, offering zero uh, economic interaction for players, uh, it's hard to tell how how many more years of Magic Online finance we have. Are you feeling bullish about that, out there? do you feel like?
3: Yeah, so I mean a mixture of both. So the there's the economy is focused on ticks, so they're tickets, and they're used to be roughly equivalent to a dollar a piece. And as the economy has shifted towards Magic Online, uh, and especially drafting, you know, new players coming in, being able to play a few of the new set has really moved towards arena. The only people left on Magic Online are the the very hardcore game grinders who are playing the eternal formats, particularly Modern and Legacy, and to a lesser extent Vintage. And so the tick price has fallen. So now it's about 80 cents on the dollar. So that's a bad sign for the economy. But the good sign is... People generally, I mean, I think like Arena for drafting and things like that, but they hate the economy. It's really hard to get access to cards. And the plans to even roll into the Pioneer format have been very slow to roll out. And so I think in the short term, one to two years, Magic Online isn't going anywhere. But long term, I mean, supporting two digital clients just has to be taxing, I imagine.
0: We, we all know that there's an expiration date on Magic Online. I mean, we knew that. Yeah. I mean, they said... I don't know how many years ago it was. They're like we've we're creating something called Arena, and James and I were like, "That's it. Magic Online is coming to a close. We're just not sure when." Um, I'll be honest; it's lasted way longer than I thought it was going to. Uh, Magic Online just carried on right. a lot longer than I expected it to. But I would imagine that's probably got quite a few years left in it because, I, I mean, unless they do a really major shakeup with the format, if it's the only place you can play not even just legacy, but like modern, that seems significant. If modern is a tier of, a major tier of magic formats, but it's not accessible on arena, that's where people are going to go.
3: Right. hundred percent. And, you know, we really saw a resurgence when COVID struck because people could get that fix at weekend tournaments. But then as soon as COVID hit, no one could do that anymore. And so literally the only place you could play modern is online. Uh, I mean, Cause even an EDH, EDH, you can play over a webcam can't do that with modern you can't set up a, a tournament structure an organized tournament structure that feeds into that competitive nature so yeah i think it's, it's been a good boost to bring people back to the format um and prove you know mtgo is really here to stay at least for the short term but you know i think long term the the more they can port onto arena you know, so right now they're planning on putting on pioneer um which i think i could see them scrapping that format entirely Uh, But the model is to take the most most used cards and just put those in a collection format. And so, you know, you think modern, they could do that over three or four series, make a lot of profit off of it and just shift everyone over. And it's because it would be a slow movement. You know, you'd really be able to uh, get rid of the backlash from people saying, hey, my $2,000 deck is going to zero value. If it happens over 12 months and people see it coming, those outcries just won't happen like they would otherwise. Because people have a lot of money. I mean, my profile online or with Magic Online is, I don't know, probably like 8,000 ticks right now. So $6,000 US. And you know, that's, that's a considerable sum if they drop news. I mean, they've done it in the past. They've dropped news. That's been very detrimental, and the whole economy will drop forty percent a day. It's kind of like Bitcoin, where it's so volatile. So, and similarly, when they did all the ban announcements, almost overnight, the economy goes up by twenty percent because you know all of a sudden people are interested in the formats they want to play. They all need the cards at the exact same time, and so those swings are kind of similar to that crypto environment where you know generally speaking it hovers around a certain point, but if any news happens, it shakes things up within a matter of minutes.
0: Sure. Uh, and and I, I just put a comment in from uh, Alexis here, which I think is uh, another very salient point that we kind of, you, you touched on as well is the, uh, how do you deal with the people who have all of this money invested? Because the number of tickets, the grand total number of tickets, I would imagine within the system has declined because they get eaten by events and people aren't buying them fresh. But there's a lot of cards in people's collections out there that represent a lot of value. And the day that Moto loses its usefulness. Those essentially go to zero, and losing thousands of dollars is is going to irritate a couple people. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe. Right. And mean, the,
3: the rental services have been a big change to the economy as well. So previously, you had to own the cards to play with them. Now. A large number of people that play competitively just have a rental service subscription at forty dollars a month or give or take twenty dollars, and it gives you access to the cards you need. So that means you're not necessarily buying them so you don't you don't feel that pain. Uh, and it changes the economy in various ways because the vendor still has to buy them uh, to be able to rent them out. but it, it does change things in that sense of people don't have have less of that exposure than they used to.
1: The, the interesting thing there, of course, is that it suggests that arena could be using a completely different model. If they just had a monthly service, software-as-a-service-based model similar to the rental services, they could probably get away with charging people 40 bucks a month to play their game instead of going with the freemium version that they're using right now.
3: Yeah, and Magic Online has tried to capitalize on that directly a little. Uh, they've done two-week tokens where you get access to all the cards for about 25 bucks, And the pricing there, I think, maybe is a little bit higher than it should have been. but people did it people used it for things like packs and more recently for big vintage tournaments and so you know that's something that you know even if it's not all the time they've shown they can do it in in smaller chunks to help capitalize in that market um i, I <laughs> arena could go with a lot of a lot of economy
0: decisions but this past weekend's limited event uh, if i understood it proved why they weren't going to because they, they made like, what was like 100 or 150 grand in you know an afternoon based on the number of rebuys and stuff like that. And people were getting real angry about how exploitative that model was because I guess it allowed rebuys. It was yeah. a limited event that allowed rebuy. So it kind of became gambling because you'd pay 40 bucks for your seal pool. And then I I would I am willing to bet without having read it with are people who would buy a seal pool for 40 bucks review it, build it, decide that it sucks, not even play a game and buy a second sealed pool. And God knows how many times they did that. Like that was absolutely happening, right? Like what are the odds that it wasn't?
3: Yeah, 100%. And people argue that that's, you know, just the, the nature of being able to rebuy and unlimited rebuys in particular is predatory. I, you know, I, I think my take on that is it's... It's just like any other hobby. You can spend a lot of money on it, Um, and I, I, you know, at least I, at least personally, I don't view it as the corporation's role to limit their profits. But I do think, you know, there's things that the community can be doing to share, particularly for those members of the community who don't have the resources to do that. Some do, right? Some have the resources and are able to do that, and it doesn't affect them. But for those members that maybe can't afford that, but are doing it because they just have that competitive nature and they want to get to the pro tour or whatever the end game is. Yeah, you know, Those are the people that I think it, it's challenging for, at least in their pocketbook.
0: I, it's hard for me not to call that predatory. I mean, when you think about predatory, what are we looking at? We're looking at creating a situation that will encourage people, especially those inclined to poor behaviors, to do something that's bad for them and, and, and profit in the meantime. Uh, and I mean, this is saying, hey, you want to do well in this tournament? Well, you can just keep paying the entry fee and opening your lottery ticket, and one of your lottery tickets might have lots of good cards in it that will help you win. And I guess I would separate it from like poker tournament rebuys because you're re- you can't rebuy in a poker tournament hoping to get a better pack of cards, really. Right. It's like, it's 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 completely disconnected. Yeah. Like you can't just keep rebuying a poker tournament hoping you get a good hand. It's you're either in or you're out and the cards fall where they may. Like, it feels like there's a distinction there. Also, right. if, if you're trying to defend your claim with looking at poker tournaments, it does not seem like that's where you wanna be if you're Wizards.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think from a competitive nature, it's problematic because you're, you're giving people too much of an advantage if they can afford it, right? Yeah, or, or if they can't, right? So I think from a competitive aspect, If it was uh, if it was get, you know, I think some of the tournaments are, you know, structured, constructed, make your first seven wins, and if you get the seven, then you get to the next day too. I think that's a little less egregious because at least there you have to play the matches. It kills some time. Unlimited, I do agree with you. I mean, where you can open up a pool, if you don't like it, drop and do it all over again. I mean, that that sets up a bad scenario, if not just for competitive environments.
0: Well. Drawing the distinction between limited and, and constructed it seems relevant there too, right? Because with yeah. constructed, it's like, I mean, I can rebuy again, but I'm getting the same deck, so like it's it's right. different than just, like, did I get lucky? What were you going to say, James? Over in chat, we got a comment from CTE Maniac, who's a, a
1: Discord member, says that the analytic data of Magic Online far exceeds the cost of keeping the service up and running, says he met uh, a Watsy uh, developer at a conference and was chatting with them. I can see how the, I mean, certainly when you think about how they've made decisions about what to ban the digital platforms, especially in the COVID era, where you don't have any access to in-person play are all they've got to go on. And even when there were major tournaments going on, it was certainly a combination of big tourney results and online that were, you know, they were mining the analytics for to get try to figure out what needed to be banned, how to how to manage formats. So I can see how there's there's certainly value there. The question is whether they can get that same value out of Arena by porting whatever formats they choose to support long-term over there and kind of leaving some of the other ones behind. Like, Will you be able to play Legacy on Arena someday? Maybe, or maybe Wizards will just steer you away from that process
0: entirely. I, yeah, I, I'm calling, of all the things we've talked about tonight, the thing I'm most confident in is not being able to play Legacy on Arena.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And I, why would they want to, right? I mean, how are they going to monetize that in a way that makes sense? The card pool is such where, at least modern, you have your staples. You can build into a, a collection. Legacy is so diverse that I think it'd be challenging to, to do that. Okay. It's, also, it's also tough to put a lot of the
1: cards that you would want to pull. Uh, you know, Arena is draft to own, and then you reuse those cards in, in constructed environments. And it's tough to put a of Baghdad in a draft pool
0: on Arena. They release two hundred legacy staples into Arena. They can do that, but well, yeah. But the only way to get them is to incinerate mythic wild cards for a hope it random like it will you will give you a random card with a chance of being one of those legacy cards so that's the only way you can get that so if you actually want a play set of a legacy specific card you have to burn like hundreds if not thousands of mythic wild cards it basically turns play to win like pay to win into pay
1: to legacy because mm-hmm. you the people that go deepest on arena as a platform over a long period of time eventually get to join the elite ranks of legacy
0: players. If if Wizards need some ideas on how to drive their most enfranchised players into severe economic ruin, truly ruin their lives, you look me up. We can
3: work this. Well, I mean, going back to Arena, I do think the system they have set up right now, obviously it's not great. I mean, I think everyone agrees on that. The problem with it is it gets worse as time goes on. Because you know, even in the historic anthologies that they release, if you don't buy it right away, there's no way to get at it. And maybe they'll do re-releases and things like that. But you know, historic, the carpool is not that big, and it already creates a lot of problems if you weren't around when those first anthologies are coming out. I can't imagine if you get pioneer anthologies and modern anthologies – I think it is going to just get worse and they're going to have to do something if they want to capitalize on older formats to change it, where you can buy a wild card or you can do something because right, right now it's bad. It's just going to get worse.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely designed to separate players from their money. Yeah. Um, All right. I think we've got another gentleman in the wings here. Do you have uh, either of you guys have anything left here for Oko? Or for
1: us. I just want to give Oko a, a big thanks. I think everybody who spends any time in the Magic Online channel in our Discord knows that uh, Oko does a lot of good work for the community and uh, give, him a, give him a round of applause. Appreciate it. For, for those of us that have uh, made money on the backs
3: of his good ideas. Yeah. follow. Please follow me on Twitter, OkoAssassin. <laughs> Try to tweet out the best of the best anyway.
0: Well, we we appreciate having you on and, and being in the Discord. Uh, we'll keep an eye on you in chat, and uh, we'll catch you later, buddy.
3: All right, thanks, all Take care, brother.
0: All right. So now we're gonna bring in our next gentleman here, and chat. Feel free to post questions as we go here. Um, we're listening. You know, we're we're looking at it. We can chat them as we go. So uh, share as you, as you see necessary. But uh, Brian, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hey, how's it going? Good, y'all. Good. Very good. I'm going to take a guess that you live south
2: of the Mason-Dixon line. That is correct. Uh, yeah, I live in a Raleigh, North Carolina. So, uh, yep, straight, straight, straight there. I remember Raleigh. I've
0: been down to the uh, the Medical
2: Quadrangle down there
0: a couple times. It's a very nice, nice area.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it is considered the one uh, nice part of NC, really, besides Charlotte. Um, most of it's uh, very rural, except for the triangle, like you said. But yeah, it's a very, very, very uh, high spot.
1: So uh, for those that don't know, Brian is a a very active mod in our Discord community as well, helping our pro traders max the the value of their, you know, community interactions, and uh, deserves a, a round of
0: applause as well for doing tons of great work in there. This over the last this year or so. The uh, all right. To be fair, the applause does sound terrible on the audio recording.
2: <laughs> i I'm, I'm sure back, it, 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 it peaks really badly and throws off the whole rest of it. Oops, but uh, st- still deserved. Thank you, Brian. Uh,
0: I uh, so no. you're you're Nihilus in the Discord, and I remember. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was on Twitter or Discord at, at first, and I remember seeing your avatar. And I'm like,
2: this guy played Knights of the Old Republic. I remember Darth Nihilus. I did actually. You know, uh, when I first got an Xbox, God, what was that like 2000? Don't say it, please. Don't say three, it. Four, <laughs> Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> can tell uh that was actually the first game i got for xbox and so Ooh. that was my introduction to like uh to that game playing i was like this is good so yeah, that was
0: that was, that was two, number right?
2: two yeah i i played two before one and i played one after and i was like oh this is great too mm-hmm. it's turned out that way nights of the
0: old republic those were some both of those were excellent games yeah, that's uh, a good game. except for the ending of two that was whew, that was rough but uh, yeah, that's
2: yeah.
0: fine. I'm I'm a little surprised we don't have a Darth Revan running around <laughs> in the Discord too.
2: Yeah, uh, I think they actually said that uh, two ended up unfinished before they mm-hmm. had to ship it. So there's a bunch of like unfinished stuff in the game. So they said they said the ending was definitely not what they had intended, but they just ran out of time for things. Yeah, they had
0: like there was like a week or two left to get it out the door, and they're like we haven't done the last stage at all, and they literally just like put a person in a room and you walked in and just had a conversation with her for like 20 minutes and then had a fight. Yep. Like there was, yep. it was like unbelievably unfinished. Like anyone in our chat who listened, who played dark souls and felt like the game took a real hard turn when you got down into uh, I forget the term for it, but like the lava world where suddenly there was just like, wasn't anything going on and it was just these dinosaur asses running around and jumping on you. Like it was even more severe of a, of a turn after what had been an excellent game.
2: Yeah. It's uh there, uh, there is really, you can definitely see the stark contrast when that happens, when you're like, oh, this game's going great. And then it immediately falls off. You're like, uh-oh, when did so, they have to rush this? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who, who, which developer had a, a difference of opinions with the lead producer or something and got kicked off the project and, and changed yeah. it? So wh- one of our listeners here wants to know who is each of our favorite Star Wars characters?
2: Ooh. Are I would EU? hand legends cuz that's that's a that's a big array of people.
0: We're talking about the price of magic cards and asking him that question <laughs> that made this good. dirtier.
2: Yeah. Uh if we're going on the films, uh it's definitely Luke just cuz he's the ideal, you know, the hero, uh the uh the farm boy who learns about the world, leaves and then becomes, you know, uh up Jedi becomes the in in my mind the true chosen one where he's the one who actually does the the deal if we're talking eu it's thrawn all the way thrawn well he won't be eu for very long that's true he's, he's
0: absolutely coming into the movies in fact they name dropped him in some property some media
2: yeah right mandalorian
0: uh, i think Squires.
2: uh yeah <laughs> spoiler alert uh yeah he did get name dropped so i'm assuming that's coming eventually but yeah if, if you ever want to like top like list of like the top villains of like all time throne is up there just like yeah. the, the perfect like gentleman villain like key strategist he doesn't do like the, the gimmicky uh the villain things who has some lady tied to a r- railroad and it's like save her before the train runs her over
0: he's got one lady tied to one railroad and five ladies tied to the other railroad and the star destroyer is headed towards the five ladies, but Luke can switch it to the one track. How about you, James? Do you have a favorite star Wars character? I think from childhood, we're going to go with
1: Boba Fett as would be fairly common. And, but I think like in terms of inhabiting mental space, I think it's just stormtroopers in general, in all of their variations. I'm definitely a like, Something about the aesthetic um, of the myriad different uh, armor configurations they've been getting over the years got into my head as a designer, and I actually put together a custom coffee table that's behind me here uh, in the living room that has like a hundred slots for different stormtroopers. I'll uh, mm-hmm. I'll put post pictures to it in the Discord. It's it's uh, quite the
0: object. It, I don't know who came up with that cow outfit but like they uh they should have won an oscar for best costume design because it is yeah, re- yeah it's, it's been timeless i got a fact that that design has been timeless and ve- very impressive for something put together in the 70s yeah
2: you can see you like people who haven't even seen star before know what that is mm-hmm. the the outfit's so iconic if you want to pick something that like it's like it's like if you want to show something this is like this is sci-fi it's like a storm outfit
3: yeah
0: uh, I am gonna go with HK forty seven, who was the in the Star Wars canon, or Star Wars universe, the kind of like original smartass droid. For he was from Knights of the Old Republic, and he he was like I feel like within modern popular culture, the first robot who didn't care about humans really or care about and you know you've seen that repeated it was the the black droid i don't remember his name in rogue one and you know that the trope has been done a lot now but i remember him pretty specifically and i loved him when i was like 20 you know and an idiot still an idiot but i was a different type of idiot at 20
2: yeah it's it's actually you look back when that like uh the first uh, nintendo play came out like what 2003 i wanna say there were so many things that did so well that game that got carried over to other games and other, uh, like film and other types of uh media. It's it's uh, the effect it's had all over the place is pretty big.
0: All right,
1: Travis, guy-
2: you, you, Travis, you can pull up my coffee table there. I just
1: gave you the uh link to the furniture blog site review from years back.
0: Oh, yeah, there you go. Was this. Is this your table that they have photos of? Yeah, I made this table with my hands. Uh, that's. I would only be more impressive if you made it with your feet. <laughs> yeah, do those do those drawers slide out? Yeah, you can you
1: can basically slide out the thing and like replace the the stormtroopers. The bottom is uh, iron pallets from a factory in Toronto. And then, for anybody who knows uh, old printing press uh, objects, that's a. Uh, the things that the stormtroopers sit in used to hold the letters that you would put on an old printing press.
0: That's quite cool. That's impressive. I like that. Um, It was very nifty kind of like the like beer cap bar that you see people put in their house just with a different spin on it.
1: Yeah, that kind of, it's got, I like the industrial look mixed with uh, collectibles. I've got a bunch
0: of that in the house. We have this one guy in chat who apparently knows how to push my buttons because he both said that I should chime in on Jar Jar Banks and wants to talk about Dune. And I, Dune is about uh, my personal favorite book. Um, Dune was uh, it's what I recommend to everybody. Uh, as for Jar Jar Binks, interesting story. The guy who voiced slash played Jar Jar Banks was so upset with the amount of hate the character got, he became suicidal and almost killed himself. So it's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, yeah. But, Dune is awesome, and I really feel bad about not having watched the David Lynch movie because I both enjoy David Lynch and love Dune. I still haven't gotten around to watching the movie, but I need to get to that. Um, But for anyone who likes science fiction, Dune, just Dune. Yeah, fair enough. All right,
1: so huge thanks to Brian for joining us and for all the work he does in our Discord. Uh, If you land uh, in our Discord naked out from the elements and worried about your next steps, uh, Brian is one of several mods who can provide a soft landing and help you get integrated into our super effective and friendly community.
2: Yeah, and that's one thing, too, I try and strive for is like when you come in is I talk, try to be a good sounding board for people. So a lot of it when you come in, it's very overwhelming because there's a lot going on most most days. So uh, you can always ask me if you have questions or comments, and I will provide feedback on that if I can. What's your uh, your sheet behind you? Is that Modern
0: Horizons?
2: That is, masters, that is from War of the Spark when they handed out the uh apology ones. So yeah, I got that yeah. friend. Um,
1: I was gonna say that looks like a Pro Trader badge of honor. Um it's probably a
0: lot of us that have the uh the War of the Spark foil sheet somewhere in the house. I yeah. have a foil sheet upstairs getting flattened, and I do not remember which one it is. I it's probably that one. Is that the one that like everyone got? Yes. Yeah, yeah. when when okay. they messed
1: up uh was it Mythic Editions that they were sending out? Yeah,
2: correct. Yeah, when yeah. they decided to run that through a not staple site, so. I got
0: I got people that I worked with that poster because I had, I, I got the people that I was that my in my cubicle farm. I was like, all right. Do me a favor you guys i'm going to give you a url at like exactly this time i'm going to tell you guys and you just try and buy this i'm like it's going to cost you like 600 bucks i will write you a check while we're sitting here if it goes through and then you know i'll give you like 30 bucks or whatever on top of what it costs you and you bring me that box of cards uh, and they all none of them got it but they i think two or three people ended up getting that poster the the foil the sheet and none of them gave it to me, which I was kind of (laughs) annoyed about, Uh, (laughs) but whatever, it's fine. So like, there's a bunch, a couple of people out there who basically don't know what a magic card is who own that sheet. And it's probably rolled up in a closet somewhere. They're gonna sell it at a garage sale for 10 bucks for sure. So if you are out in middle of nowhere, upstate New York, keep an eye out for that at yard sales.
1: O- Oko is back in chat talking about how he made a lot of money on Mythic Edition 3, but for sure out of the Mythic Editions, Mythic Edition 1 is the one nearest and dearest to my heart because even though Oko is is the king of shorting on Magic Online, I was definitely the king of shorting Mythic Edition 1 where I would borrow copies from people that got them at their local GPs ship them out at elevated prices and then replace them back to those people two months later when some GP in France fired off and I had somebody on the ground there picking them up and sending them back. That was absolutely crazy being able to short physical magic product
2: in Hmm. the real world. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I I still remember when that first one dropped and that was such a unprecedented event in terms of sealed product because it's like, this exclusive product you can only order through one through through one spot. It's going and it's going to the people, but they also offer that offer that at some GPS for only a certain amount of people. And yeah, the hype on that was insane. And then I remember the apology on that was how they spoiled the uh, box stoppers for the Ultimate Masters. It was yeah, very unique because arguably that's the start of the
0: premium era. Really, yeah. it was the San Diego Comic Con came before that. I think right? It was the first one of those like sealed super special edition sealed product. I'm pretty sure the SCCC ones for first because those, those are, I remember buying many years ago. That was before I went to grad school and I was at work, snapping them off. while I could And like people were putting them on eBay for like 20 bucks more than they were on the floor. And I was like, yes. And I still have a couple of those floating around. Uh, Cause people just didn't like, didn't get it at that time. Um, and that, I mean, even at the time you, that was, you were speculating. Because you're like, wow, I'm paying a lot of money for these cards that are newly printed. Like, I, I think people will want these.
2: Yeah, and especially with those SCCCs, there were some years where the planeswalkers were really good, and there were some years where they were not so good. Yeah, <laughs> so you'd have them, maybe you'd get it, and there'd be hype during the first week or two after they went out on eBay, and then the hype would die pretty quickly. And if you had some on hand, and you may sit on them for. Probably a few months. I, before. I
0: went hard on a couple San Diego Comic-Cons. Like I am going to say the first three and I'm not sure I even own any after that.
1: The, the reason I would differentiate between Mythic Editions and SDCC sets being different eras is that the sets were not that expensive on the floor at Camp Comic-Con or here at Fan Expo in Toronto. They were expensive in the secondary market because they were geographically limited and time limited in terms of where you can pick them up. But mythic editions are like define the premium era in the sense that they are a multi-hundred dollar price point. That from out of the gate, Wizards is saying we want to get a bigger share of that secondary market profit that we've been bypassing for years. And ever since, we've had nothing but an escalation of that process leaning into things like hundred dollar booster, VIP booster packs for double masters.
0: I I guess the first Mythic Edition, and I didn't realize that it was this late, was 2018. I thought it was older than that. But it was Guilds, then Allegiance, and then War of the Spark were the three Mythic Editions, 2018 through 2019. I would have guessed that they were a little older than that. I forgot that it was just the one Ravnica block they were released with. And
1: then shortly after the release of the third one, slash War of the Spark, you have the end of of the old foil drop rates which is also part of the premium era where they devalue pack foils in favor of premium versions of cards.
0: Yeah, with an MSRP of 250 too. So you're right, they were pricey.
1: Yeah. All right, so uh, we probably have some other folks waiting in the wings here. We'll uh, thank Brian one more time and then uh, catch him back in the Discord.
2: Yep. Uh, Thanks guys for having having,
0: uh, me on. Yeah, it was nice to put a name and a voice to a face. Yeah, I forget Sounds James good. and I and have been on camera a couple times over the years in various respects, but like for a lot, some of you guys, like we've just never seen anyone before.
2: Yeah, well, um, you talk over text, so you know it's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure all of us have friends we've known for a decade that we maybe don't even know what they look like. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Well, thanks for stopping by, Brian. You have a nice evening. All
2: right. Take care, guys. Take care.
0: Um, Well, I I put out the flag there for anyone else in the wings on the, uh, the staff channel that wants to join. Um, if anybody has some questions, we'll probably,
1: you know, maybe handle a 10 minute question Q and a here. Um, and then uh, we'll look to wrap it up if we don't have any other staff that happen to be available to pop on for a few.
0: I know Jason said he's recording brainstorm right now. Yep. Um, I think Cliff floated away to do something else. I mean, I think we're more important than Brainstorm Brewery, but I guess.
1: Well, I mean, it's, a, it's certainly worth commenting on, you know, the, the legacy of Brainstorm Brewery. I don't think this cast would exist if BSB didn't exist. Um, and it is amusing that in the very first episode of this cast, I go out of my way to toss a dig at them about how long their cast is. And then we end up with a cast that's twice as long as theirs is um that's (laughs) comeuppance for
0: sure well i yeah i'm pretty sure i looked at brainstorm brewery and went well they're full and so they won't have me on so i'm gonna make my own and mine's gonna be better and that was that was essentially the impetus for the cast
1: for my my perspective on bsp was a little different mine was more about they have very clearly marked out the segment they want to approach which is more the bridge that connects mtg finance and the vendor world to the casual magic player to provide you know accessible uh guidance on how to play the game more cheaply and while we do some of that as well our focus is definitely more squarely on the finance side Um, helping people make money with magic is a greater portion of our content than uh you know playing the game cheaply and there's room for both. I mean, there's, and that's been shown to be true. They have a bustling active community of their own and we have ours and there are other variants out there with different uh, different focuses. There's Facebook groups that have been going for years and years in the hands of people like Dan Bach and others that uh, focus on foreign cards, that focus on alters, misprints, high-end stuff, you know, graded communities, old school,
0: magic, a lot of ways to skin this cat. Well, I mean that's all very true, right? BSB is you know we essentially attach a different market than they have. That was not going through my head when we when I pitched this. I just wanted my own soapbox. But it was as we kind of formed, it was like okay, we that was our you know kind of scene where we could split it. Um, you have a couple of questions here regarding MTG price specifically. Yeah, I'll jump in on these. Uh, let's see. Any updates
1: on the MGG Price website relaunch? We've got a ways to go on that, but we we won't comment on the exact launch date until we get a lot closer. You can expect us to start making noise probably about four to six weeks out. Um, I've put out teasers here and there of some of the look and feel and functionality, um, but it's a lot of work. Like the 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 site we inherited is basically needs to be trashed from top to bottom. So we're rebuilding something that's twice as big and three times as complicated with um without having basically from scratch and i've been running a web design agency for 20 years so this is bread and butter stuff for me but i'm also not in a huge rush to uh push this into the market until it's it's totally ready and almost everybody that's working on it is doing it you know spare time -time, part-time etc so we are looking at adding some additional resources to accelerate things this year on a couple of key pieces of functionality that i do want to make sure that we launch Hopefully by summer,
0: and uh, we'll share more information once we're we're ready on that stuff. Well, website relaunches are always very challenging, and I mean, even if you have a a bare you know more bare bones website that's just serving basic content articles or what have you, it's quite a pro, quite a process. And I mean, there's a
2: ton
0: of mechanics behind the scenes on mtg price and i just i I don't i don't have any insight into that beyond being someone who uses the site and it's like you know when you stop and you start to think about the functionality that has to exist for all that data tracking and what have you to work it gets complicated fast when I you talk about like somebody
1: asks, what can I talk about my vision for MGG price and what you'll be working on this year? One of the reasons that we're not rushing out to do it is that I don't really view us as, as being competitive with say a site like MTG stocks, which is primarily an, an index site. My vision for what the ultimate MGG finance site looks like is much more expansive than that. It's a um, one-stop shop for everything that the people that are interested might need. So, you know, if we're looking to compete with anybody, it would be more like a site like Goldfish, where we intend to offer a lot more than we currently do in the next iteration. And that will, in truth, get launched in phases, it's going to take some time to get there. But in terms of what I want to do with the business, that's where we're headed. Um, We're, you know, we're we spent most of last year, uh, building up a fantastic community that we think is. Fully justifies the the cost of entry for the pro traders. I mean, for seventy nine ninety nine a year, you're getting a lot. And our goal is to add only add to that. So and and also to make it so that whether you know there are, there are people that approach us all the time that say, I really just want new versions of the old tools on MTG Price. I, I will never log into a Discord community. I don't even know what that is. Um, you know, there are Magic players in their forties, fifties, and sixties at this point and some of them are not gonna use new technologies. Whereas our, we, you know, we have 18 year olds in the discord that have a completely different point of view. So we're, we're looking to provide different technologies and different services for different people. And it's gonna take some time to get that all pulled together. But the, the nucleus of how that needs to work uh, has been well established at this point.
0: The 18 year olds is amusing. I didn't think didn't know we had anyone that young just by virtue of the nature of the content tends to be heavier in financial components. Uh,
1: Irish asked, how much has MTG Finance changed in five years from the MTG price perspective? i say the biggest trend line in MTG Finance since we started has been EDH becoming the, the top format for the game. The, yeah. Realize slow realization in the magic community that Commander isn't a side piece that the pros can sneer at as casual, it is the defining uh model for the game, both socially and economically. There, there will always, I think, be a desire uh, and a community to that will be looking to pursue the competitive angles for magic, but I think. Wizards has realized that a format like Commander is, A, much better at selling product because it doesn't uh, doesn't motivate you to have just the best deck in the moment and to be swapping that out all the time. It motivates you to be co- building a collection of decks and turning you into a collector in a game where for many years the focus was more on being kind of a, a, a nomad who owns a set of collectibles for a certain period of time and then transitions to another is a really, really big deal for them, especially since EDH is much less constrained than, say, Vintage or Legacy in terms of the reserve list and uh, letting people play a functional game without owning the oldest and most expensive cards.
0: I mean, the the shift towards EDH is clearly the, you know, the major headline when you talk about the last several years. And it all all kind of blends together for me in terms of, like, where were we five years ago versus 10 years ago? It's hard. uh, My memory is bad to begin with, and trying to draw those distinctions is difficult. But, I mean, I remember, you know, bread and butter MTG Finance was trading for the New sets, rare lands in March, April, May. Ideally trading away the cards that were going to rotate that fall to pick up those lands at five bucks. And then in October, when that exact same person needed that land again, they weren't $5 anymore, they were 12 to 15. I'm like, that was what you did, right? You just filled your trade binder with those types of cards uh, over the summer. And man, the loss of the block Pro Tour was awful because the block pro tour was like a forecast of what was gonna be good in the fall. So Avengers Zendikar blew up at the block pro tour for Zendicar. and like all that summer was like, get your Avengers Zendikars. And because lo and behold, that that fall set, uh, Scars and Mirrodin came out and Avengers Zendikar was still relevant and those prices went up. So like that was what MTG finance looked like for a long time. What did it look like specifically five years ago? I'm rusty. I would have to dig up the old sheets and see what like the specs were then and what cards were spiking to try and get a feel for it. We definitely would have been pointed a lot more so at standard and modern than we are now. Well, certainly modern. Um, modern, modern legacy
1: and, you know, that's five years ago is still a masterpiece invention. So that's still, in my mind, easy? yeah, that's still in my mind approaching the premium era and it's post the trade bind the the heyday of the trade binder. You know, it's funny how far away we are from that now, especially during COVID. The 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 whole premise of trading was already mostly dead to me, but now it couldn't really be anymore uh, deceased. And it would be really funny if we got back to the point where there was a GP Vegas in two years from now or something to bring all the pro traders together and the and have a weird event where everybody has to bring a trade binder of exactly a hundred cards and it has to be a hundred of the same cards or it has to be the, the vet binder has to be the same total value. Like you have to be TCG near mint low, a hundred dollar binder. And then the pro traders have the weekend to trade into the best possible binder and re- record all the trades along the way. And then whoever has the highest binder value at the end of the weekend is the winner and gets some kind of prize.
0: That's <laughs> that, w- that would be quite an event. That would, that would be, be that would be quite an event. Uh, yeah, like, Kalan, would...
1: having the audio of the debates uh, as they as people were opening and closing binders would be quite the thing.
0: Yeah, there you. There was a whole arc to that man. I did so much binder grinding back in the day. I started playing F and M like back in Zendikar, so I had a when I was in college, we had a, a essentially two rooms of the house that were just magic cards. And I mean that the floor was coated in magic cards. You couldn't even see the carpet. Um, but that was all super casual stuff. And zenikar was when I started going to FNM. And that's when I started trading because and I used magic salvation to do it uh, because I had some cards, but like, I didn't want to spend any money. I was, I, my job was barely covering the rent. Uh, and I needed to change those into cards that I wanted. So that and that was the way to do it. And that's why I, I got into the finance and the trading because that was a big deal. Uh, and but you know, trading, trading with people was tricky. Or, well, there was there was a real art to it, right? And it was a lot of fun. And you approached it differently with different people. And uh, you had to be careful. Like you know, with some people, you were like you you kind of came in one direction, and then other times you had to like slow your roll a little bit because if you just like slammed a massive binder on the table with all of these cards and you're like let's trade they would just like be terrified either because they were too new to the concept or they knew enough to look at you and be like "Ah, oh, this guy knows more than me this is not going to work out in my favor and they wouldn't trade with you um that was fun i don't think i could do it anymore smartphones just ruined all of that
1: yeah uh Oko Assassin said, well, I mean, one of the things you could put into the event is you can't use a smartphone. That would make things extra interesting. Sure.
0: sure, You can't. Well, what about the other people?
1: No, 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 but nobody can't. Like everybody's like they're in a space together with a bunch of tables, them and the binders for a set period of time. No one can pull any phones out and they've just got to trade from memory.
0: Oh, so you're saying the pro traders are only supposed to trade with the other pro traders.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a competition. So they have like a hundred, they can bring a hundred dollar binder. And it has it, they have to register. It's like you're submitting a deck list for the for the you're, trade-off. You're, you have to submit your hundred dollar binder, and then everybody's
0: trading from memory, no, no digital reference. You're so you're doing this wrong. You have to create, you find everyone has to pre-register, and then you build binders ahead of time with random cards in it. We do, and then people walk in the door and they get a random binder. So so, so we generate can't.
1: we generate a sealed pool. Uh, mm-hmm. for the binders and they have to fill it up assuming that they have it but like,
0: what... yeah like they would walk in and we would have a binder of cards and hand them the cards and be like this is your binder trade the best you can and we binary. know how much the value of that binder was walking in the door but they don't and no one's allowed to look up any card prices so then they trade and the person who increases their binder by the highest percentage wins because they probably won't all be like exactly a hundred
1: dollars i mean there's definitely something here and it would be quite the event people would be very cutthroat that
0: would be so much work to set up
1: (laughs) well i like it better when they get to choose their own hundred dollar binder like because they're they're trying to choose things that they think people are going to value highly and and the rule is you end like you go home with the binder that you end up with but there's also a really sweet prize if you If you have the highest TCG value at the end.
0: I guess it's true. Like you can bring your own cards, but if no one gets to look up the prices, you know, your cards prices, but you don't necessarily know everyone else's card prices. So now there's an advantage to, for instance, bringing cards, like you said, that people will overvalue because they think they're worth more than they are. And knowing like a handful of cards that you think are probably undervalued that you should trade for that people don't realize how much they are. Yeah,
1: Alexis said, oh, check out my $100 binder of 100 copies of this terrible Homeland's reserveless card. No, but the thing is, you've got to convince people to take your cards and give you other cards so that you can come out ahead. So if you don't have good bait in your binder, then you're not going to get anywhere. And it gets even more cutthroat if it's uh, winner take all. Whoever has the best binder at the end of like three hours or something takes all the binders. <laughs> that gets real nasty.
0: This is This is quite a Quite an event here you've got planned out.
1: All right. So anyway, let's let's segue over. Oko had a call that we can both answer. What spec are we most proud of that paid off? Not necessarily most money making, no super collection for me, no masterpieces from Europe. Uh, I mean, masterpieces from Europe would be up there because we made a pile on those, but
0: I, I don't know. This is really tricky because it would have to be something that I felt was really clever. And like the first time you do that, you feel like a genius, but it's been a not long enough now that like, th- the ones where you just feel like you got it, don't stick out in my memory that well. There's a few
1: from the last couple of years that jump out at me. Smothering Tithe, I was in, an, on, in on real early and went real, real deep. Um, buy listed a couple hundred copies for thousands of dollars um great henge is probably a good poster child for recognizing that extended arts were going to be a big deal um <laughs> my inventory on foil great henge and extended art great henge is was quite extensive and is uh, a good flag in the ground for us being on top of that at the right time probably Mark- Probably a mono, Lily, has to be up there. Like us flagging the whole trend line of Japan by listing the foil planeswalkers from the, the Japanese war boxes early last summer made people a lot of money. And certainly snapping off a first edition, a mono, which is now worth whatever, thousands of dollars, um, and having a stack of like 30 or 40 copies of like here's a bunch of big pile of Amanos that were acquired under $50 US and Europe last June. So well, that, wins. That,
0: was, that was all you. That was not us. Cause I didn't get involved in that really. We talked about it a little bit, but that was definitely your ball. So is there, I mean, is it something like a Martin Stromgald for you? Like something that you called on yeah.
1: cast or talked about on cast multiple times that eventually just randomly got there.
0: Somebody else mentioned that too, but no, because like, that like, that's a meme spec that I'm associated with same with restore balance. I'm, you know, kind of associated with that. It's been a while since we've heard that one though. Uh, I mean, those don't, it's not really paid off. Those are just cards that I was known for talking about because I was waiting for them. Um, I, I would, I would go a little bit di- different way with it. Cause I don't, I don't remember which card made me the most money, um, but I would say it was, what was that card? Oh my God. The one that I wrote the article on. Uh, it was your spec quadrupled, like now what? And I kind of showed like, okay, you bought this card for three bucks and it went up to $12 and you did it, you're rich. But by the time you actually have to get rid of the card, how much money did you make? And it was kind of like a, it really showed the real side of what it looked like to, to do it and, and how the profit didn't look as good as, it, as you thought it was. So like I actually didn't make much money on that. Um, But I I remember that one very fondly because that article, I think, was one of the better things that I wrote and people still reference it when they talk about, um, you know, what are some seminal pieces that you should read if you're new to the space. Gabe, yeah, thank you. I knew it was something from the Commander product. Um, Gabe, so I think that is the spec that stands out most in my mind for a slightly different reason. TK wanted to know if we had a
1: pick of shame from the last five years. I'm I'm trying to think of something that where when when we ended up wrong, it was because of sloppy logic as opposed to meta shifts, reprints, or some other factor that is known and you know is always in danger of wrecking wrecking a spec. I'd, ha- I'd have to go back and look through the stuff that was just way early. I think I think I might have called, because there's a lot of things like, say, Foil Extended Art wish claw Talisman. I know I have a stack of those that I bought at like $65, for, which is very high for a Foil Rare Extended Art in hindsight. And I got them on pre-order thinking this, that this card is bananas and it's going to be everywhere and it's going to be worth a million dollars. And then it dropped down to, I think, as low as 15 So in terms of missed opportunity, being right about that, but in way earlier than I should have been is pretty rough.
0: Yeah, this is. I mean, it's a good question, and I'm trying to think of what it would be for me, and I, the, it, you know, it's it's this it's this other half of the coin for the the are most product is nothing like right. Like I don't I don't hang on to those that well, especially the ones that I screwed up. Right, like they kind of fade in your memory. I will tell – I think. If I'm thinking about cards that I see in my spec box that sort of taught me a little, every time I look at them, and these are, I don't even know if I talked about them on cast necessarily. I know I have a pile of Nissa Vital Force, uh, which was the one from Kaladesh. Uh, That was this, this lady, and... Uh I I don't remember the 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 conditions around her, but she was like three bucks or four bucks. Or and I got or I got them for like 260 overseas and I bought like uh, a bunch over I think it was triple digits. Um in the spring, maybe that Kaladesh should come out. So I was looking for that fall bump with the new standard, and then just never really came. So I sit around and just Pray that they don't reprint this stupid card before it gets up there. This seems like – now, you look at the the low here, and it says $7. But if I were to out my copies right now, I'd make, like, maybe a dollar on them, and it's been since 2016. So sure. that was that is a card that every time I see it, I, like, walk back to my computer and I look it up to see if it got a spike recently uh, and still hasn't. So that stands out for me. Uh, I think it was Heroes Podium, I think, is one of them uh no it's not hero's podium because it was one with uh but it was like something like this and it was based creature an artifact that pumped your creatures that were based on color and it had like an fnm promo and i bought like 100 or 200 of them because they were like 50 cents oh yeah
1: yeah yeah i know the one you're talking
0: about uh what's that called yeah mm, anyway and, uh, and that's it's that's still about 50 cents. <laughs> Uh, I bought a bunch of matter reshapers because they were looking really hot. Although that one, I don't feel bad about because I think that was the right choice. I just got.
1: Well, Nathan mentions there. thought not seer as being one that he thinks we we missed on. But the thing about the Eldrazi is, you know, two things happened. First of all, they were extremely good, and then got banned into being less good. And then they were still putting up results post that for quite some time. And I moved plenty of Foil Hot Nuts, Seers, and Foil Reality Smashers. Now, Loki, I just did notice in my inventory box the other day, I still have some of those left, and I'm certainly caught with them, but I'm sure that the profit on the copies during the hop period made up for it. I would be more worried about like leading people astray with a pick like, like a really arrogant pick, like something like an aggressive mining, where it's like, Everybody said it was bad. And I just said, no, I know better. This card's way better than you think it is. It's going to be amazing. And bought 300 copies at whatever tiny price, 10 cents or whatever. But they've just been sitting in a big acrylic box since then. I don't think anybody even remembers the card other than me. And anybody I told to buy any of those is stuck in the same position with just true bulk. I mean, that's that's the kind of situation I don't want to be putting people in. If I can avoid it, so I I don't mind if something like if you tell somebody to go buy Scourge of the Skyclave right now because you think the Death Shadow Deck's still going to exist in a year, and it turns out that major tournaments don't return for two years and it fades from the meta, then you know you you are subject to the whims of time and space. But it's not that the card isn't good.
0: Uh, so I I mean the point about I have two thoughts here. Uh, the Eldrazi languishing is very true. And that has kind of stymied, I think both of us, and probably a lot of other people too, with just like how resistant they were. I mean, they had their moments, right? like a, a, well, a couple of times, a couple specific cards had their moments. but in general, they did not move like we thought that we were they were going to. And I don't I guess I don't look at that as like, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed about it because I feel like we were spot on the entire time and they just stuck. Uh, I don't know if it was that waste mana because it was too labor was too difficult at the time, um, it, or it was just too difficult to work around. I don't know, but I would agree that they stuck pretty hard. And like I said, I've got that pile of matter reshapers, and I know I talked about the Thought Not Sears with you a couple times. Um, so I understand that I say this guy mentions foil morph specs. I'm sure I have a pile of those. I know I have a pile of foil cat cards, uh, but I like to think that I qualified all of those pretty well when we talked about it. Alexis, I'll out. tell you,
1: I'll, I'll tell you that my worst, the specs that I have sitting around that are the oldest and the worst are definitely the ones from my earliest action. Yeah, They're like 2013, 2014 things when I was in the first couple of years of considering myself involved in MGG Finance. And most of them share that common denominator of trying to be Picking something, yeah. Trying to be clever when you can just be right. Well, that's
0: well. So I mean, your point about the inventions. Ucaledish was September twenty sixteen. We're about we're four and a half years past it. Uh, It'll be five years this year. But like in that, that 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 when you put it in that frame of reference, five years is actually not that long. And I think we were probably had independently kind of gotten to the point where we're like, well, like some of these sort of more aggressive, more egotistical, true speculative picks had really slowed down by then because the market was reshaping and it was becoming clear that you didn't have to do that anymore. You know, you used to pick a card. Like I remember the one that stuck out of my head is Jason Alt talking about dictative Erebus and buying a bunch of, you know, a long box of those at like 25 cents and just sitting on them. Um, and at the top, when he bought them, there would have been thousands of copies on the market. That was a speculative pick, and it was a good one. But that's what you did. And you waited months and months and, like, a long time for a lot of those cards to move. But, you know, in the last five years, it's been like, oh, yeah, I can just pick a card now. And, like, within six months, the prices probably move. For the most part now, our biggest sins are cards that just don't move or they only move, like, 20%. So, like, you just end up with funds tied up in them.
1: Yeah, and I think the best advice that goes hand in hand with what the, the fact that that will inevitably happen with some portion of your specs is our repeated um, advice to get out of things when you know that there's something that you can accelerate with. So for instance, if you whatever you had languishing, October of 2020, if you had moved in on Crucible of War boxes, even if you took a 20% loss you, know, you bought something for 100 bucks it wasn't going anywhere you had to sell it at 80 to get the cash back and then you put that into a crucible box and then you could flip that 3 weeks later for 500 you got to you, you you can't be scared to go take a step backwards to go five steps forwards and if you stick to that premise you will get further and further ahead
0: <laughs> that the, the other side of that coin is there are no bad specs only long-term specs <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly, it's, cer- it's certainly
1: nice that something like they were talking about Inverter of Truth in the chat here. It's certainly nice that one of the features of Magic is that cards can get activated. It's not, you know, like if you're talking about just, you're talking about a, a car, like a vehicle with wheels, your, your car is probably going to be, a, you know, the, the value of that car is going to be established within a relatively tight time frame. Like you have a Honda Civic, that's going to follow a very predictable path your magic cards can be terrible for 10 years and then suddenly be amazing because the partner piece that activates them gets printed. And that's certainly a nice feature of having a collection and an inventory. I mean, just look at what's going on with these terrible reserve list cards. Guys like Douglas Johnson with deep bulk are in a position where they can all of a sudden go back in the bulk that they've been through six, seven times already. They're sick of it. They're so convinced there's nothing left in there. And then Rebecca's... Ravika is like a $20 card all of a sudden. Okay, well, you got to go back and repick your book. Well, and you're, you're going to mine serious value that way this month.
0: Our listeners have heard me mention a couple of times all the bulk rares that I keep. Then, you know, I don't usually take anything out under five bucks um, because it's like, sure, I have gone back into those boxes so many times and pulled out so much good stuff, which I think is part of what makes Magic Finance fun is that there's always that chance, right? Like for the true, true bulk. There isn't, but there's a lot of cards where you can buy and be like, well, okay, but I get to backdoor this because like I'm buying it for all of these reasons right now, but they might print this card yeah, and this card would make this nuts. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the ones that stands out in my memory with that. A slightly different story, but, um, I remember when vampire hex mage from Zendikar got spoiled and it was sacrifice. It It was a two drop sacrifice, remove all counters from target permanent. I remember reading that damn card and going, wow, that's going to make dark depths really good. That's a cool combo. And then I didn't do anything about it because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And then dark depths went from like $10 to a hundred. Uh, it's like not buying Bitcoin when it was 25 cents, but, uh, You know, and stuff like that makes it fun. Also, before we get too far past this, Alexis mentioned that uh, your Sacrifice Land card, whose name I forget, was designed by Notch, who made Minecraft. And uh, boy, has there been a uh, hero to heal flip that hard in the history of gaming? My God, (laughs) just like race from the face of the planet. The the game, the
1: gaming, (laughs) gaming creator. Community in general is not well set up to generate heroes because the kinds of personalities that are good at making games are not necessarily the kind of personalities that you want to be following. Uh, Yeah,
0: I mean that in in terms of how to live. I mean, sure, I I don't think they're particularly notable for the most part. But that man, like, you had the guy who made essentially the most popular video game on Earth. And was no one had it suspected otherwise. Then he's like, "By the way, I'm one of the worst people that exists." And I'm like, "Holy moly!" All right, enjoy your billion dollars dying alone.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, people with a billion dollars can die with as many people around them as they want. But yeah, they don't but are necessarily make their lives any better?
0: Well, there's some some old adage about being surrounded by people and being lonely. I'm sure.
1: Uh, So Grand Slam Breaks points out until recently a lot of inventions went nowhere for years. I mean, the lowest-end inventions, sure, but when we were telling people to get in on Masterpiece, uh, Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, um, you know, the top five or ten of them that were huge, huge winners. So They were, like, Soul Ring we were picking up in Europe at 70 euro. I mean, that's a $700 card now. The Along the way, we certainly flagged some masterpieces that took longer to get there. I'm sure we mentioned a Champion's Helm or a Lightning Greaves or something at some point.
0: I own both of those. Still, but home.
1: yeah. So I mean, there's, there there is that. But <laughs> as we've seen recently, you know, even the bad ones are going to get there over time. And and again, the the opportunity is always there to give up the ghost and move on. You don't you don't need to hold things for five years if we're we're, if we're wrong about something, and we will be wrong, I mean, that's it's impossible to talk about 500 cards a year or whatever it is and not be wrong some percentage of the time. They, the, ho- the hope is that our advice is, generally speaking, giving people the tools to get out ahead more often than they fall back, and that that eventually puts them in a position to go infinite and not ever have to put money into this game again, just be able to play and play
0: and play. Coast on that. Yeah. Um, the inventions, the inventions too were a sticky spot timing wise because you remember the first, at first anything a masterpiece that we had where it was that release pattern. Remember, the release pattern makes a significant difference um, was the expeditions, which were Zendikar, returned to Zendikar. Uh, but those were only a year old by the time inventions came out. Now, they hadn't done that great in that year. But at the time, I think we were still I was at least still thinking like, hey, we've got you know, this is not something that people are going to empty the market of in six months, like the expeditions are going to take a couple of years to really get through their inventory, get into the collections of, of long term players and sit. Uh, and for those prices to move. So when the inventions came around, we really did not have that much data to work with yet. And I say we as in like the community. So like we did our, you know, we were kind of trying to figure it out as we go. And obviously we, we had some good, good reads on it, but I, I, I think that expecting better performance out of the entire suite wasn't unreasonable at the time. And now we have a lot more perspective on these types of products. So we could, I think be a little more accurate or at least make better educated decisions, but that was a new deal at the time. And also part of the initial wave, really uh, that push towards whales. And we didn't know yet how well whales were gonna take that type of card up, right? Like didn't really exist yet. So it was like, I don't know, not only is this is this model, this release model still very new, we don't know how much of an appetite there truly is for this in the market yet. Yeah, I mean,
1: in hindsight, Masterpiece Soul Rings just seems so obvious. But it, it has taken five years for people to fully come around from all segments of the community the players, the vendors, the speculators and understand that EDH drives the truck. And now, you know, the, the, the number one piece of logic anybody hangs a spec on in our Discord community is inevitably going to be that something is heavily played
0: in EDH. Yeah, if somebody needs seven copies of it, it's probably going to do well.
1: Like I, I I screwed up the other day and forgot to buy the Uro secret layer. And I know I'm going to regret that because I'm convinced that Uro is, you know, it might take some time, but that Uro is going to get there for sure. If people avoided that because it was banned in a bunch of formats, but forgot about it being an ED, a relevant EDH mythic, won't take that long.
0: Well, I will say that... Uh... Let's see here. Uh a foil Oko is 120. 10110 right now with 16 copies. The price is below the market price, but it is like okay. I know we talked about this not that long ago. Well, like
1: somebody in the Discord tried to flag this as like, "Oh, look at this heavy retracing." Okay, people there's 16 listings of this card. So yes, that there are people in a that are desperate to under unload their five or six copies, but it only takes 10 copies there to get back to 200. I think those $109 copy OCOs are buys for sure. This is still an EDH card. Okay. This is okay. the, They have no motivation to print this card. They're not gonna put it in a Commander deck. It's the kind of thing they might put into Commander Legends 2, but the original printing is only gonna keep going up.
0: This is impressive. <laughs> how, how many other cards did I if I look up? Ban, 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 not not legal, Banned. That is a lot. Um, but this is one of the features of EDH that
1: really matters. It's not that Oko's any less busted in EDH. It's just that the format is so broad; the odds that you're going to run into him are so much lower. And if we're being honest about what gets a card banned, it's that it's being repeatedly slapped upside the head by it like cards are not really banned for power level. They're banned for being, for the fact that their power level leads them to being so ubiquitous that you lose to it over and over and over again. And it just becomes a, re, like the repetition is what kills the card.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Cassie Andres uh, made a point many years ago in one of her articles on Star City that resonated with me. And I think I've mentioned it before, but you know, it's always worth pointing out is, And she's like, don't worry if you miss a spec, like whether you forgot to buy it or you weren't sure of it and it went off, like that's okay. There's always another one around the corner. Like there's no shortage of them in this market uh, because of the way the formats change and and updates. So like, which which is really good advice because you shouldn't be going nuts to jump on everything. Act when it's appropriate. But like, don't worry about missing the the train because there's will be another one, and I always keep that in mind because I think that's a, a very strong piece of advice.
1: All right, we can probably start moving towards wrapping up here. Yeah. The five year anniversary, we've gone pretty late. It's almost midnight. Chat yeah. seems to be fading, getting a little tired. That's I'm, I'm very curious if there's anybody in the chat who is hanging out but is not already a pro trader. For our fifth year anniversary. If you've still hung out with us this long, I will give free annual memberships to the next five non-dit pro traders that put their hands up in chat. And you I can follow go. up you can follow up with me at james at mgprice.com to get hooked up or you can hit me up on Twitter at mgcritic to get that, that closed. And let me just cut you off at the past because I know our pro traders are pure sharks. Don't even think about Canceling your membership tomorrow and then using a fake name to set up your new annual Pro Trader.
0: I, I was gonna go uh, go make a Smurf account here and get a, yep. and get a free copy to sell. <laughs> it, You've got a couple takers here. All right, so Slug
1: Farm. <laughs> you U you, you
0: Co's Slug Farm. The penalty. The, the price they pay is having their username read out out loud on Twitch. <laughs> I guess, although I guess it's not a thing. People stream on Twitch with all of with the, uh, you know, you're on Twitch and they're always thanking their subscribers. They say ridiculous words. We got easy mode. Easy moto.
1: Easy mode. No, it's, oh yeah, easy moto.
0: This coffee hot. Although I don't know if, if this coffee hot is a, He's just saying it's a nice gesture. Yeah, I don't
1: know if you're just excited coffee hot or you want in the door. It's, the, <laughs> it's up to you. Either, either way works for us.
0: You know, if this, if this went well, we'll have to see what the real um, possibility of these are in the future. We'll have to talk about it offline and see what we want to do. I'm not doing this every week. <laughs> um, not with, not for three hours. And I have a feeling that people will, uh, You know, this is a novelty right now. It wouldn't be every week. Um, But there might be some opportunities in the future. We'll see. Yeah, monthly, quarterly, something like that. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, do our official wrap-up here. Where can people find you online, Travis?
0: Well, as it has said underneath my name the entire time, I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin. And I'm going to guess that you're on Twitter at MTGCritic. As well as
1: my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. And I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And I guess we add live streams to that mix of excellence at this point,
0: and free pro trader accounts.
1: Yeah, free pro trader accounts every five years.
0: <laughs>
1: one for each year ma- come down from the mountain and
0: light a candle. You gave out one free pro trader account per year.
1: There you go.
0: Uh once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where we actually do personally buy cards, um, yeah. where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best and magic gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code finance five, that's finance, and then the number five during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this live stream, Uh, which brings us to the end of uh, episode 260, year five. So we are starting our sixth year here. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you, Travis,
1: for five great years, and may we have five great more.
0: We have both had kids while this started, right? Yep, that's true. I got married. Yeah, it's been a, a lot of things have happened over the course of this, the run of this podcast. I mean, it didn't take
1: long after we started this nerdy podcast for the the chicks to line up at the door and try to get us pregnant. It
0: was I, fast I, and furious. I went to several GPs after we had started this, um, kind of in between, like before I had slowed down on showing up at GPs you know, and the couple, a couple of GPs. I regret to say nobody propositioned me at those events. Um, that was disheartening. So if I end up at another GP, you know that would be great for my ego. <laughs> I can't take you up on it, but it would really make us feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I will well, see
1: you next you, week, James. James. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Pro Traders, that make our community so great. Thanks to the new ones that are about to get their free memberships and have their minds blown. And uh, we'll see all of you next week on the first episode of the sixth year of MTG Fast Finance.